The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith. On today's show, we will be reviewing the new beginning in Sapporo, answering your questions, and covering all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Make sure you check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official keeping it strong style t-shirt. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Anything that you donate to this show will go directly to the show. It does not go in the pocket of myself. Uh, If it goes in the pocket of Jeremy, I don't know about it. Because I ain't been getting any checks cut lately But uh, no, it goes to equipment It goes to the contest, the prizes uh, Any investments that we put uh, Us going to shows Anything like that <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, it, it definitely is appreciated And uh, we've already gotten a few uh, donations And we appreciate you know all those But uh, we want more We want more We want more <laughs> You know, as uh, We really like it, we want more <laughs> As our friends on um, the Ricky and Clive show, like I say, they want to be uh, podcast house husbands. <laughs> well, I, I don't have a wife right now, but I want to be a... Brown, uh, basically your wife. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to be a stay-at-home uh, podcaster. So, I mean, you're definitely the breadwinner. You make more money than I do. <laughs> I'd I be cleaning up in here and stuff, so... Oh, man. It's pretty much the relationship right now. <laughs> but, uh... We got a lot to cover this week, so um, let's not waste any time. Let's jump into things. Well, I wanted to waste some time. I think it's about time that we redo the song. As much of a banger as it is. Really? As much of a banger as it is. It's time. I'm an accomplished musician and singer. It's time for me to do the Keeping a Strong Style recording. Uh, it's going to be singer-songwritery and acoustic, and uh, you know, I, I'm not a... You know, an audio engineer, so I'm going to record on my phone, but whatever comes out, comes out, and that's that's what we're doing. Uh, I don't know if that's going hit, to hit the same, you know? <laughs> also, uh, I just want to say I'm feeling much, much better than last week. Oh, my God. Yes, uh, yeah, 100% recovery here. I, I didn't know if we were doing a show last week, to be honest. 
like I can't I came in from work and like you were you were here and I was like, yo, you all right? <laughs> you gonna make it? <laughs> yeah, man. Always got you know, got a kick out at two. <laughs> always for the keeping it strong style faithful out there. No the, no yobs. Yeah, no no yobs here on keeping it strong style, man. But yeah, let's uh let's I'm so excited. This feels finally you know, anytime that Wrestle Kingdom comes around, you always have that that lag between new beginning and there. And a lot of people complain about it. I don't complain about it. I, I appreciate it for what it is, but now is the time. It is the new beginning and we're here and I'm, I'm all set. I'm ready for this. Yeah. And before we jump into new beginning, uh, January is over. We're in our new month. February has started, which means we have to name the 2020 January match of the month and the Wrestler of the month A young boy Why don't you tell the listeners Who our match of the month is Who our match of the month is Yes or what our match <laughs> of the month is Gotcha So um, Definitely This should have been a hard choice to make Because there were so many great matches In the month of January But there Happened to be one That stood sh- Head and shoulders above all the others uh, Unanimously amongst the two Keeping it strong style brethren And uh, You know Earlier today, Jeremy was like, what is it? And I was like, it's this. And he was like, I agree. And that was pretty much the whole discussion. Um, so without further ado, your January 2020 match of the month, Kazushko Kata versus Kota Ibushi for the IWGP title at at uh, Wrestle Kingdom <laughs> night one in the main event. Yeah, what a great matchup that was. And, you know, there's a ton of great matches. I mean, we you could have said Osprey Hiromu. You could have said Okada Naito. But... For us, it really came down to Okada and Kota Ibushi, that main event from night one. This is an epic battle. These guys just went above and beyond, blew the G1 match out of the water. Uh, this was just an epic match. Yes, it wasn't quite the moment and story that the Okada-Naito match was, but if you're talking from bell to bell, in-ring work, this okada Bushi match was magnificent. Yeah, I mean... If you made an argument for those other two matches that you mentioned, you know, that's your opinion. You could be wrong. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, no, this truly, uh, this is going to be a hard, hard match to beat for for match of the year this year. Yeah, I I, I got it penciled in as my my match of the year right now. So, yeah, they they produced uh, just an incredible, incredible, you know, masterpiece of a wrestling match. Uh, and let's continue on. What is our wrestler of the month for the month of January? Yes, so our wrestler of the month, January 2020, is the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada. Uh, you know, Okada kind of rarely wins. He never these, wins this. <laughs> these match of the month um, awards that we do every month here on this podcast. And obviously, Okada is one of the best wrestlers in the world. He always has ama- amazing matches. But usually in these months, uh, you know, just other matches just hit a little bit differently. And he usually doesn't end up winning Wrestler of the Month. You know, you have guys like Osprey who will have multiple above four-star matches. Same with guys like Ishii. But the thing here with Okada, he had an excellent main event night one at the Dome. Followed up with another excellent main event night two at the Dome. Just accomplishing such, you know, big things both nights. He is the current ace of the company. 70,000 people, two nights, all, you know, kind of riding his momentum and just what he's done for the company over the last, you know, several years. So you say he's the ace. He is quote unquote the ace. He's not. He he don't got both gold belts. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, Naito's the dark ace. <laughs> but uh, no, you're absolutely right. Okada never wins this. Uh, you know, most tours, he has one big match. And then he's usually on like multi-mans and tags, things of that nature. So it is hard for, it's harder for him being at the top of the company to win this award when you have guys that are, like you said, Ishii, uh, Shingo, um, Will Osprey. Osprey. Yeah. And even in the months when the G1's occurring, Okada's always at the top and it's always killing it. But there's a few guys that are hungrier that are like, oh, you know, your Ishii's, your Ibushi's, guys like that that just the last couple of years have murdered it in the uh, in the G1 and kind of knocked him out. I think this is the first time Okada's ever won our Wrestler of the Month award. I feel there was one other time he won it. I'll have to go back and look at our list. Um, we need to compile our list. <laughs> yeah, I, I got all of last year's. Our, I, got, I think I got 2018, 2019s. Nice, because I don't. <laughs> and I'll get it up on the uh, the site there so we can all have that as a reference point. But, yeah, I think he, I think he's, he won it maybe one other time. If not, this could be his first time. But, yeah, you know. Well, being, being showcased at the top of Wrestle Kingdom two nights in a row amongst two of the best talents in the world today and just producing – Two of the best matches of the year already. Uh, that goes to show you exactly the kind of talent that Okada is in. Uh, yeah, wrestler of the month. Yeah, two uh, IWGP heavyweight title matches one month. Yeah, the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, the wrestler of the month. So now we're going to jump into New Beginning in Sapporo, night one, night two here um, in Hokkaido. So, young boy, overall, what were your thoughts You know, as a whole on these uh, two nights here? Really strong shows. Um, I think that I might have set my expectations for the overall show a little bit higher than the actual delivery. Um, some of that might have had to do with crowd reactions uh, and my perceived, you know, um, you know, just my, my, my viewing experience wasn't exactly what I expected. That being said, there were some Really, really great matches, some really good angles, some story progressions, and this really laid out the framework for what we're going to be seeing in twenty nine or 2020. Um, so not, nothing really to complain about, but maybe just me setting my own expectations a little too high for some of these, you know, tag matches, things of that nature. But overall, really, really good, solid shows. I mean, I, I enjoyed myself both nights. Yeah, overall, I thought they were both very good cards. Um, a lot of you know notebook matches from both nights here, and just a lot of direction being set up for 2020, like you mentioned. Uh, I think my my only one really complaint that I would have overall is just the crowd reactions on night one. Yeah, in Sapporo, it was like we were at a cemetery. The crowd was dead. Very little reactions to anything. And I definitely think that kind of hurt. Some of the matches a little bit. If it had a, a hotter crowd, it would have been better. But then night two was a completely different it's story. Different, yeah. It was day and night. Night two, we had a whole different set of people, a lively crowd. They were uh, live and loud and lively and were totally into the show. See, I'm glad that you said that because I hadn't gotten a, a chance to really discuss this with anybody else too much. And I noticed that right away about night one. And I just kind of figured as the night progressed, we got to the bigger main events that that would kind of change. And it never did change. I mean, uh, the the top two matches, the top three matches actually really delivered on high levels and kind of blew me away. And I was like, man, these matches are so great, but the crowds are just not with it. And I am the type of viewer where I can enjoy a match without the crowd having to be completely gung-ho. But 
the atmosphere of the and you know audience participation and reactions do play a big role into perception of a match and and of a show overall and um i think it didn't ruin anything but it brought everything a tad down and uh i wasn't sure if anyone else kind of had that opinion i know i was in one group thread where i mentioned the crowd wasn't so good and someone said that they didn't notice it they thought it was fine but i was like no like i even noticed that on for instance on night two and we'll talk about it but like when gabriel kidd was wrestling el phantasmo Gabriel Kidd did like an opening sequence where like he got a huge pop off of it. And I was like, that that pop was bigger than any reaction during the two main events on yeah. night one. It was he, weird. Yeah, there was a clear difference. You know, night one was, you know, you know, back in the day you would always hear about the stereotypical Japan crowd who would just sit there and be quiet and clap and be very respectful. It was almost like that, but I mean it was just like Dead silent. No, I wouldn't agree with that. This was an apathetic crowd. Je- I mean, that is true. The Japanese audiences are respectful, but we see that year round. Um, when they are invested and excited about something, they, they get vocal, and that's always been the case. Right. You know? Yeah, there was, like, no, like, screams from the girls for wrestlers, really. I mean, I did hear some of that. Like, that was the one thing I did notice. Like, like... You know, during like Goto and Shingo, I heard girls screaming, but that's all I heard. There was like they would do big, like moves and stuff, and you expect the crowd to like pop. Yeah, I mean, I never did. I was popping, and I was like, I was like louder than the crowd was. Yeah, I was. I was a little surprised by that. I don't know what the deal was. Um, I'm gonna chalk it up to something cultural, like maybe just we don't understand that audience's tastes or preferences, or maybe. Maybe it was different people. Um, I did notice, I don't know if you noticed, with the stuff going on with the coronavirus, a mm. ton of masks. Yeah, a ton of white masks, yeah. A ton of them, like more than I've ever seen for a New Japan show. So I don't know if that's some somewhat playing in the culture or anything like that. I don't know. Yeah, so uh, let's start breaking down these nights here. So uh, night one, new beginning in Sapporo, we had an attendance of 4,569 uh, open things up with Taiji Ishimori and El Fantasmo defeating the team of Yu Yamura and Tiger Mask via submission. Uh, this was fine. Um, nothing really that blew me away, but it's kind of exactly what you'd expect, you know, with Ishimori and Fantasmo taking on a young lion and a veteran like Tiger Mask. Uh, it was a good opening, you know, eight minute match. Yeah, good opener, obviously. Ishimori and Fantasma were going to get the win here. Ishimori busted out the yes lock here, and definitely think they're they're trying to heat up Ishimori and Fantasmo down the line for another junior tag title match. And you know, uh, Yuya Morris kind of had some fire. I think it was after this match where he kind of got in their faces and kind of won a little bit more. And Tiger Mask had to hold him back. Um, yeah, and see, as we're reviewing this, I'm trying to think if there was anything super notable that even occurred in the match. Like I can't even remember. You know, I mean, Ishimori and Phantasmo did their shtick. Yuyamura showed a lot of fire. Tiger Mask was, you know, the consummate professional, hard-hitting. Um, there was nothing that really stuck out to me. I mean, when you mentioned Ishimori um, pulling that yes lock, I did like that Yumora got really close to the ropes, and then he rolled him through and then got the tap, which was great. But uh, this is your standard opening match. So then we move on to the team of Togi Makabe, Tomioka Hanma, and Toa Hanare defeating the team of Hiroshi Tenzam, Minobu Nakanishi, and Yota Suji. You know, kind of one of the last matches here in Nakanishi's career as we count down to his retirement, which is happening at the end of this month. 
with this match, um, I think because we're expecting the Hanare and Suji match to kind of be highlighted at, since that was going to be a singles match the following evening, I kind of thought that they would focus a little bit more on that and use this as a showcase. Uh, that didn't really seem to be the, the case whatsoever. Um, you saw a lot more of the uh, the uh, third-generation dads and GBH, and um, a lot of it was really centered around Nakanishi. The action wasn't great, but the crowd was really, really into it. Like, like this might be one of the m- matches that they're the most into the whole night, as weird as that sounds. <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, a lot of respect there for Nakanishi. And I think right. they knew that he was retiring. Um, so one of the last times you're going to see him in um, Sapporo, in this Hokkaido area here. So, yeah, definitely some respect for Nakanishi. And, yeah, he was definitely kind of the focus in this match. They did get like, a lot of heat on him there towards the end until he could finally get uh, Toa Hanare in there to hit the uh, big Toa bottom on Suji to pick up the win for his team. Toa Hanare is looking awesome. We've always kind of talked about the potential of Toa Hanare and, you know, that he needs to do something to kind of differentiate himself and stand out. Uh, Otherwise, he might get passed by with some of these, you know, very talented young lines that are right on the horizon. Kind of even reminds me of the story of, like, Taichi and uh, Okada that we're (laughs) going to talk about later on. But um, Hanare, ever since coming back from that... uh, you know, brief stint that he did over in Thailand and doing, you know, the Muay Thai and kind of changing his body a bit. Like, he just seems so reinvigorated. He wasn't in this match for a long time, but he really stood out. And like we thought, the interactions with him and Suji were the highlight of the match. I'd say Toinar is the MVP in this match for sure, but uh, they, they just didn't have a lot of ring time. Right, yeah. This match, you know, went 9 minutes 45 seconds and... Yeah, he just wasn't in it a lot. But when he wanted, like you mentioned, when he was in the match, you know, very high intensity, looked great. You know, like the, the strikings that he's been incorporating lately has been looking great. And then I love the Toa bottom. So, yeah, um, Toa Naro is just looking really good here. And I like to kind of see him continue to be elevated this year. I think he's going to be. And we'll talk more about that on night two. So then we move on here with Will Ospreay, Sho Yo, and Risuke Taguchi defeating the team of Zack Sabre Jr., El Esperado, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Doki. These, uh, this was a uh, preview match for the Will Ospreay, Zack Sabre British title match and also a preview for the Rapungi 3K Suzuki Goon Jr. tag title match that will be happening next Sunday, or this coming Sunday, I should say, in the new beginning in Osaka. Now, generally speaking, when we do a preview show, we make some arbitrary uh, predictions. They go out of my mouth and out of my heart and brain, and I forget completely what I've even predicted most of the time uh, by the time the next week or the show even rolls around. But on when this show was rolling out, I was like, hey, I got that right. Hey, I got that right. Hey, we got that right. <laughs> and did it surprise you that we got so many of these match predictions accurate? Not really. I mean, a lot of these undercard tag matches kind of had that designated pin eater in it. It was no really, like, question in my mind of somebody winning. I mean, obviously, we mentioned Doki. He, you know, ate all the falls during Fantastic Mania Tour, being pinned by non-New Japan guys. So, you know, clearly Doki is the, the pin eater of Suzuki Goon right now when he's on the tours. So I wasn't surprised here that he, you know, took the fall here. Yeah. Uh, match was fine. Uh, Sho and Yo looked really good. Um, I mean, everybody looked good. Uh, I really don't have too much to say. I mean, again, this was a standard eight-man tag. You got your big spots with, you know, 
the like when they isolate a guy and everyone's running into the corner and attacking him, kind of like y- your standard stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suzuki Goon attacked at the beginning of the bell. Um, I didn't even. I don't even know if in my mind there was anything super notable between Saber and Osprey or anything of that nature. I mean, we didn't really get any memorable moments in this match. It was kind of by the numbers, really. Right. I mean, they kind of had their similar, you know, normal kind of sequences and moves. There wasn't really thing that completely stood out and. You know, there were some like submission escapes between like Osprey and Saber, a little bit of wrestling back and forth, and then kind of brawling on the outside. But nothing out of this world, um, you know, came down to Taguchi and Doki, and Taguchi was able to hit the Bomaye and the Dodon to put Doki away. Yep, uh, pretty standard, uh, solid match, and then that takes us to the fourth match of the night. So we saw the team of Ryu Lee and Robbie Eagles as they defeated. Hiromu Takahashi, and Bushi of LIJ. Yeah, this was a really fun match. You know, all four of these guys are, you know, super workers. There was a lot of great high-flying action here. And obviously that, you know, the sequences between Riyuli and Hiromu Takahashi were just great. And that just, you know, got me fired up for their match coming up, new beginning in Osaka for that junior title. Yeah, as I mentioned last week on the show, this is the first time we've seen uh, Lee and Takahashi opposite one another in the ring since uh, the injury that occurred, you know, in uh, July of, not even, what, a year and a half ago? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, um, just to kind of see them work together again was something really to behold. And their sequences were awesome. Every time that they were just, you know, going at one another, I was like, oh, I can't wait uh, for the match between them. Um, but Robbie, the, a lot of the story was really centered around Robbie Eagles here. Um, just having a great accounting of himself and, um, you know, focusing on the leg of Bushi. And that really played an intricate part to the, uh, you know, to the finish of this match, really. Yeah, Robbie working over the leg so he can set up that Ron Miller special which he locked on Bushi towards the end here and got him to submit. Uh, you know, the, it was so painful for Bushi. He, like, grabbed on to red shoes and kind of verbally submitted. He didn't even tap out. Um, so they're really putting over that Ron Miller special submission over hard. That is, you know, once you get locked in, it's very painful, and you, you're going to tap out or you're going to verbally submit. Yeah, and I think when he does the 450 onto the leg as a setup, I love that. That really solidifies uh, the effectiveness of the move. Um, I really think Eagles defeating Bushi after having previously defeating Hiromu earlier in the year uh, plays a big uh, role into his contendership for the IWGP Junior title. So, uh, big win for him and, uh, you know, good preview match for Hiromu and uh, Ryu Lee. I hate calling him Ryu Lee. I want to call him Dragon Lee so I bad. know. There was, like, a backstage promo of Hiromu. He's like... Uh, I can't wait to wrestle Ryu Lee. Why is his name Ryu Lee now? Like, I'm still going to call him Dragon Lee. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just want to call him Dragon Lee. Like, I don't, it's so dumb. Like, especially now that Ring of Honor and New Japan seem to be kind of working together again. Like, but I think it's CMLL. Uh, that's true. Yeah, they own the Dragon Lee name. Yeah. Forget about that. So then, um, continuing on, we had. Kenta and Jay White teaming up to take on Tetsuya Naito and Sonata. And this was a very, very interesting match just in the fact that we didn't have any uh, established uh, pin eaters when it came to this match. So it's really hard to say um, who might or might not end up uh, losing, you know, because it's like 
who's taking the pinfall here, especially since all four guys kind of need to uh, be made to look strong. Um, I'm just going to come out and say it. Nothing about this match or the following night match involving these guys did anything to excite me personally for the upcoming singles matches with these guys. Yeah, you know, these matches were very slow. There was a lot of the stalling in and out of the ring between, you know, Kenta and Jay White trying to get heat, um, a lot of Gato interference, a lot of just cheating. Um, yeah, very kind of slow paced. Yeah, there wasn't really, yeah, coming out of this match, not a lot of hype for the, you know, the two big singles matches here. I mean, I hate to be negative, and like we typically are pretty high on, I would say, all four of these guys, honestly. I mean, we'll we'll criticize where criticism is needed. But, you know, when you look at, on paper, this match should be, um, if not super exciting, at least enticing. There should be something there that uh, gets you invested for the, uh, you know, for the rest of the feud. And once I was done with this match, I really couldn't care less to see Naito and Kenta or Jay White and Sonata. Um now, that doesn't completely derail what has happened so far. I'm invested in the Kenta and uh, Naito storyline. Um, I've seen the backstage promos and also, like, the uh, interviews that they've been doing online. And obviously, you know, the, the attacks that occurred earlier in the month of January, those all play a, a really big role in my anticipation for the match. But when when you see the interactions with the, these guys in the ring, it kind of makes us look stupid because we're sitting here being like oh if you think it, you know if, if if you think that th- these aren't going to deliver you know think again and then they get in the ring and then you look at what happened and they didn't deliver and you're like uh chief like <laughs> yeah what, what's going to happen when new beginning osaka comes around right it was definitely a step down from the new year's dash match this was a rematch of that match and and that match wasn't really even i mean it was fine but this was like i thought that this was kind of less than good i thought it was kind of Subpar. Yeah, I feel like they were trying to do, you know, too much, you know, character work and quote unquote storytelling with um, Kenta and Jay White and just trying to get heat. And I don't think it really helped that the crowd was kind of dead. Right. Yeah. So it's like they're trying to get all this heat. They're not really getting heat. And I mean, part of it is like this. Okay, I I'm an old school fan. I get the stalling tactics. I get delayed gratification. And I also understand that there are times where uh, the heels will do things to basically draw the ire of the baby faces and the fans so that we want them to see them get their comeuppance. We want to see them prevail and get revenge. But they didn't even really do much in this match. I mean, yeah, they kind of cheated, but there was nothing that infuriated me that made me be like, oh, God, I I want Sonata to beat Jay White so bad. For the most part, I was just like kind of bored. And that when you bore a crowd like that, it doesn't it doesn't make them want to see the match. You know what I mean? Um, that that's kind of how I feel about it. And I've I don't think that that you know there are probably some people listening who think that that sounds negative, but that's not really a take that we generally take on this show, right? We, you know what I'm saying? And like you mentioned, we're pretty high on four of these guys. We you know we think all four of these guys are great wrestlers and have great matches, but this whole feud, the, the, the tag match, just wasn't it. Um, I'm hoping the singles matches will deliver. Right. But, yeah, these tag matches are just not it. I'm not ready to say, like, these guys are washed or anything like that. And I'm not going to say, like, oh, that they were being lazy. I think that they were trying, like you said, to tell a certain story, and it just didn't connect. It didn't land. Um, 
One thing, though, that I thought was <laughs> so hilarious. So at the end of this match, um, you know, Sonata and who, who pinned Sonata? It was Jay White? Yeah. So Sonata and Jay White are going through some sequences, and Gato's getting involved, and basically through a schmaz where the ref's back is turned, um, Sonata gets pushed towards the ropes, and Gato's supposed to hit him in the face with a chair. <laughs> and, like, the way the camera angle picked it up, like, it totally caught this, and Sonata, like, his head was nowhere near the chair. <laughs> it was literally, like, it hit his hand, and his hand was basically doing, like, a... a like what's what like, like a, posting his hand out kind of yeah what's it called uh in football oh uh, st- stiff arm yeah he's basically stiff arm he, he got hit with like a stiff arm like into the chair and then he sold it like it was death and he was like out in the ring and like the young boys are you know covering him with uh <laughs> with ice and i'm like this guy didn't get hit <laughs> and you know say what you will say what you will about uh new japan's uh video team we always give them praise and talk about how like the way they shoot wrestling is the best but uh, when when people fuck up like that, it gets caught big time and exposed. And uh, yeah, I'm not saying I wanted to see him get hit in the face, but I'm saying at least like create the illusion. Like right. it was so and, clear he did not it, get and hit. And part of that could have been on Gato. He's not the best with a chair. Remember when he hit Okada with the chair in the back? No, it was, <laughs> I I really yes, you're right. But I really think it was just Sonata. Like Sonata was in motion. He tried probably did the best. He, he looked like he might have been off balance and. He's just trying to protect himself, yeah. Yeah, but his arm was all the way out, and, like, it, it sucked. <laughs> but yeah, this so match was almost 20 minutes. Holy yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so, you know, Sonata got hit, quote-unquote, with the chair, and Jay cradled him up, getting revenge from the New Year's Dash match and Bullet Club picking up the win here. I don't remember who I predicted on that. I think, I think Bullet Club. I think I predicted Jay pinning getting revenge on Sonata. Okay. Uh, so then we move on to the next tag match here. We have Tai Chi and Minoru Suzuki defeating the team of Kazuchika Okada and John Moxley. Uh, I really, really liked this match a lot. Um, I know that you probably preferred the really Robbie Eagles and LIJ match, but I actually think that this was the best tag team match of this card. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think from just an in-ring standpoint, that six-man or that match, you know, with Ryu and Robbie uh, Robbie Eagles, I don't know, just maybe because it was a little bit more high-flying, a little bit faster pace. but I love this match as well. Oh, man, this match was it awesome. It was great seeing Okada and Moxley team together, and I love the Moxley-Okada, excuse me, the Moxley-Suzuki interactions, and you want to talk about getting hyped for a match, I am definitely hyped for Suzuki versus Moxley at New Beginning in Osaka Interactions were great, you know the you know, the strike exchanges and you know Moxley trying to step up and fight Suzuki and Suzuki just tearing him down. It was great stuff. Every time Moxley and Suzuki interacted with one another, it was literally fireworks. I mean, just incredible striking exchanges. And I know last year that I had criticisms of John Moxley in New Japan, and you know what? I think some of those criticisms are still valid. I think that he still hasn't fully acclimated to the Japanese style of working, but I mean, he's given it his best. (laughs) (laughs) Like you can definitely tell a difference between the way that he throws forearm slaps and, and elbows and strikes and, and even like his knee strikes from the clinch, things like that, which I think are all cool, but there's a big difference between the way he does them. And then some, a lot of the guys who have built their whole career off doing that. But my God, like, if he's going to die trying. And, like, his exchanges with Suzuki were just freaking awesome. Uh, also, I don't know. I, I really liked Okada and Taichi in this match. 
Um, it got me... It did the opposite of the previous match. Like, whereas that match didn't get me excited for either of these, I would say Okada and Taichi was a match I wasn't that high on uh, previously. And after this match, I was like, oh, I can't freaking wait to see that match because they performed so well against one another. They definitely showed they had chemistry. Uh, Taichi hit Okada with this incredible Saito towards the end of yes, the match. Yes, that huge backdrop suplex. Yeah, that was awesome. It was awesome. And uh, I also like that Mox came out um, sporting the uh, the eye patch still. Um, you know, continuity from uh, AEW. The only thing is, through the course of the match, it started, like, coming off of his face, and he, like, wasn't fixing it. And I'm like, dog, we can clearly see your eye is completely <laughs> fine. <laughs> Yeah, because he has, like, the bandage, and then it's covered by the eye patch, and... It was yeah. on there for a while. Yeah, and so, I guess, yeah, just, you know, wrestling a longer match and a more, you know, physical match with Suzuki in there it was kind of falling off, but, yeah, I like the fact that selling, continue to sell the eye, even in New Japan, and commentary did mention, you know, it was, it was an attack from Chris Jericho in the United States, so no really mention of, quote-unquote, of AEW, but just mentions that, you know, Jericho was the one to attack him here. And then we kind of had a surprising finish here. Once again, this is one of these matches where we weren't quite sure who the pin eater was going to be. You got four top guys here, all have, you know, big matches coming up. And it broke down, came down to Suzuki and Moxley. Um, you know, they're doing their exchange. Suzuki counters the Death Rider, locks in a sleeper, hits the Gotch pile driver. One, two, three. Suzuki pins John Moxley. Yeah, and the way it happened, they're in the middle of a strike exchange and. It looks like Moxley was going to get the better of Suzuki. He tried to go for a Death Rider, and from there, Suzuki was able to counter it into the rear naked choke and then finally into the gotch. Uh, I thought that was really well done. Um, I mean, Suzuki pinned Mox clean. Yes, clean the sheet. One, two, three, right in the middle. And Suzuki is one of those guys where he can do that in a tag team situation. We saw it last year. He did the same thing to Okada. So he's somebody that... um, you know, the com- obviously the company is pushed as, you know, a mega threat to pretty much anybody on any night. And uh, it was kind of shocking to see Moxley pinned so cleanly, but it, it creates a lot of anticipation for the for the next match between them. And, right. and it, it just makes Moxley look vulnerable now. It's like, it, all right. That's the word I was looking for. He looks vulnerable. Yeah, it's like Suzuki. He's pinned him now. Like, you know, there's blood in the water. He still has the eye injury. Um, you know, he's, he's going to be wrestling, you know, Wednesday on Dynamite and having to fly back to Osaka again this Sunday. So he's going to be in a weakened state and it's going to put things in Suzuki's favor. And I just want to say this. I mentioned last week that for that match, it's going to come down to who plays whose game. We saw Moxley try to play Suzuki's game, striking, um, you know, trading. Uh, did you see <laughs> at one point? Oh, God. It worries me about Bloodsport, actually. <laughs> he went for a um, a cloverleaf. Yes, and he, like, fell down and, like, turned it in, tried to turn it into, like, a body triangle thing. Yeah, like a cut, like a, like a, uh, yeah, I don't know. It looked like a figure four leg lock almost, but, you know, maybe like a, uh, I don't know, like a calf killer or something like that. Yeah. But uh, it just looked kind of weird and awkward. And I'm like, is Moxley going to be able to have a good, uh, Here's the thing They need to switch this They need Mox to work Joey Janelle spring break And he work Orange Cassidy And then they need to uh, Bring Suzuki over And have a rematch With Barnett That's They need to flip flop those But well, I mean uh, Suzuki's gonna be On Bloodsport He will be Yes Do we know he's wrestling No, no. not yet um, Actually yeah we do He's wrestling uh, Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson uh, Chris Dickinson He's gonna fuck up Chris Dickinson <laughs> But uh, 
But uh, yeah, no, this match was really good. I I was high on it, man. Yeah, and one thing I'm disappointed that Mox is sticking with the pants. I missed the I, w- I was gonna say that. the shooter look with the, the short tights and the wrestling shoes. Um, but yeah, he's sticking with the you know the long pants gimmick right now. Yeah. Well. Uh, and then after this match, we did have an attack by Tai Chi chokes out Okada. It was awesome. Gets the iron fingers that he you know got from Iska from his uh, retirement. Attempts to hit Okada with the Iron Fingers, but he gets drop kicked by Okada, and then uh, Tai Chi's dangerous ticker partner Zack Saber comes in and attacks Okada with a choke, um, and then we have uh, Will Osprey kind of running down to save um, Okada, but then he eats Zack Driver, then you know Saber. What and, an awesome Zack Driver! Yeah, Saber and Tai Chi lay out Okada and Osprey. Yeah, I really liked this post-match angle. I thought it did a great job, you know, just building up hype and anticipation uh, for the matches uh, with these guys the following evening. And I thought that was a smart idea because, you know, oh, like we already got the heat for Suzuki and Moxley through this match, and it, that that's, you know, a week away. But, you know, we have another show the next night, and so they did a great job building up the, the main event and the semi-main event. And, you know, just the connection between uh, Dangerous Techers and obviously, you know, the Chaos Brethren, it, it was a smart way to kind of, uh, kind of, you know, just do the whole thing. I, I, I got a real good, like, a real big kick out of it. I liked it a lot. So then that brings us to our semi-main event of the evening. We had Tomohiro Ishii defeating Evil. Really, really enjoyed this match. Um, so hard-hitting. I mean, this was just awesome. Um, I don't think it peaked as high as the previous match they had at Dantaku. But with that being said, this match still delivered in spades. I think if you put this in front of a different crowd, I might have even enjoyed it just a bit more. Yeah, I went uh, four and a quarter on this thing. Yeah, I, probably, I think I'd go about the same. Yeah, I probably would have gone a little bit higher if you had that, had a, that harder crowd. I mean, if they went just a little bit longer, did a few more kind of big moves. But overall, still thought it was a great Haas match. You know, a lot of big bombs being thrown between these guys, a lot of big moves, a lot of big uh, suplexes, and uh, kind of great counter between these guys. Evil and Ishii always have great matches together, and they were telling the story of Evil, you know, from the, you know, the post match, or excuse me, the pre match VTR. You know, I don't really understand Japanese, but I can kind of tell from what they were showing, like Evil was kind of in this slump and he's looking for a win. And then looking at his record against Ishii, he's 0 8 in singles matches against Ishii. So this was a big match for him. He really needed to win this to get his 2020 moving and also to finally get a, you know, a big win over one of his rivals that he's been, he's failed to beat over the years. And once again, he just could not defeat the Stone Pitbull. Um, yeah, I was surprised by the ending here. Um, but given the outcome of the next match, it kind of made a lot of sense at that point. But yeah, I mean, you know, last year they talked about uh, kind of the heat between these guys with the fact that Ishii is a disciple of Ricky Choshu and Evil kind of adopting the uh, Scorpion Deathlock as one of his signature mo- uh, maneuvers, which kind of is a slap in the face to Tomohiro Ishii. Um, and that was like a big component of the story between them previously. And yeah, Ishii is now kind of this... Uh, this mountain that evil can't seem to, you know, climb over or get past. So, um, they, these guys went out there, they really just kicked up a notch. I, I, I know evil has done stuff with 
you know, he always does that spot where he puts the chair over the guy's head and then the, knocks the baseball it off. spot. Yeah. Um, they did that, but they also did this uh, spot where he rammed Tomohiro Ishii's face into the uh, ring post with the chair on his head. I thought that was awesome. Dude, I love the suplexes in this match. Evil was hitting yes. these half-and-half half, uh, suplexes, just dropping Ishii right on his head. Ishii hit a dragon suplex. I don't think I've ever seen Ishii hit a, a dragon suplex before. I I feel like I have. Like I've seen him do definitely like high-angle Germans, but like he just busted out this dragon uh, suplex. I'm pretty sure he's hit. I'm pretty sure he hit uh, Kenny with some. Gotcha. But um, uh, I mean, just this match was high octane, super fast-paced, hard-hitting. I mean, these guys went for it. Yeah, headbutts, you know, forearm strikes, just all the awesome suplexes, your, your, your typical fighting spirit spots with both of these guys, and. Yeah, just came down. Ishii hit that big brain buster. One, two, three, put him away, and Tomohiro Ishii picks up a big win here. Why this was so enjoyable for me is throughout the whole match, I was very convinced Evil was winning. So when it came down to, like, the closing sequence and Evil kept nearly hitting the uh, everything is evil, um, I just kept, like, grimacing because I knew that was about to be it. And then Ishii just kept finding a way to avoid it and then finally got him up for the Brain Buster. When, it, when he was up, I was like, oh. Dude, yeah, I thought he I was, I was like, he won. I was waiting for him to, like, kick his legs and, like, come back down and hit everything as evil. But, no, nah, I just landed on his dome and <laughs> Ishii won. I could, yeah, I was so happy. I was like, yes. <laughs> but that one thing I love about that everything is evil, yes, it's just a kind of a spinning STO. But he can hit it out of nowhere, and it's so quick. Like He's basically Diamond Dallas Page. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> when, once he gets that, that beginning movement and it looks like he's going to hit it, like it's just so quick, and Ishii did a great job of countering it very quickly. And I just love like, the close like falls to like him almost getting that everything is evil and then just qu- that super quick you know reversal. Nice. Um, we did have a question here from Reddit user... Asai Yojimbo says, when is New Japan going to finally pull the trigger on evil? I know young boy isn't big on evil, but you can't deny that he consistently has some of the best matches every G1. If New Japan does not push this guy, what would they do with him and why? Well, I'll say this. Um, I might not be that big on evil, but apparently I'm finding out that my girlfriend is. <laughs> well, there's the first fact that like she was watching Wrestle Kingdom and when they announced him, they were like, Eva! So every time, like, she's like, who's wrestling? And I'll be like, Evil. She's like, you mean Eva? I'm like, yeah. And then, uh, you know, we were kind of like, we are just, like, chatting. We are watching the match, and we are chatting about it. And then, um, you know, I was, like, saying how over he is and everything. And she's like, well, that's because he's hot. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, Evil's not hot. And she's like, yeah, he is. And I was like, is, is Evil hot? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, oh, I, I didn't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> to me, only like Tanahashi is hot, like, and and, uh, and like Kota Ibushi, you know. And I was like, so I guess what you need, you need some eyeliner. Yeah, you need to get some purple in your hair. Yeah, you already got those lights in your room. Just you need to get some of them, the laser lights for your fingers. Yeah, apparently, I, I was just like, <laughs> I was like, I didn't, I was like, but you know, it kind of makes sense. Like he's with Io Shirai. That is true. He he must have some game. Like, <laughs> I, like it was like all kind of dumb. Yeah, I was like. I never thought of, like, Evil as an attractive man. Like, you know, I guess he is. Like, but, you know, it's funny. She thinks she thinks Sonata's ugly. Mm. I'm like, you know, it's his beard, though. She right. Because remember, we, we talked. She hate like, she's like, that guy's ugly. He's got, ter- he looks terrible. And I'm like, 
I mean, he's extremely handsome, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure when we were talking to like the uh, the Georgia girls, they weren't a, a fan of the uh, Sonata beard either. Nobody, bro, nobody likes Sonata's beard. Like, ugh. <laughs> but anyways, uh, as far as pulling the trigger on evil, I don't know, man. Um, you know, things happen in this company. Guys leave. Spots get opened. People get progressed long term. Um, you know, if uh, rumors are to be believed... Uh, you always have um, Gato booking like two years in advance. Um, I don't know that they're not pulling the trigger on evil. I mean, he's been in some big main events. Uh, you know, he's really being pushed at a higher level right now than he ever has. I think he's on a very good progression. Uh, there's nothing that is happening right now that's indicating to me that they don't have big plans for evil in the future. Now, once he starts like, jobbing to everybody or starts getting de-pushed then we then there's a discussion about like where he's at but i mean right now he's upper mid card and he's at the upper side of that upper mid card you know he's a guy that they slot in when needed he's a utility guy right now if we see him taking falls of toa hanare that's when we need to start questioning you know what's going on with evil what's his position in the company but like i mentioned i feel like they're trying to tell this story with evil like he's it's eating a lot of big losses and he's getting frustrated it's going to take him to the breaking point, and that it could go into my whole evil is turning situation where he, he just gets frustrated. He needs to do something different and leaves Lij, or because maybe he does something different. There's going to be some kind of change, something he does to you know get out of the slump that he's in right now and progress. New Japan is not a perfect company. They've missed the you know they've missed the boat on a few guys, uh, but they they more consistently progress guys and change their characters and give them motivation, explain who they are better than almost any other company that's out there. And, you know, as longtime fans, we've been, uh, you know, rewarded in spades for our, uh, you know, for our dedication and our patience with their booking logic and everything of that nature. I mean, you, you can't deny that evil in 2020 is a far cry from the guy that we saw in 2016 or 2017. I mean, he just, he's a completely different, level of star than he was back then so um you know and you could make the argument you're like he's so great you know i'm you mentioned how many great g1 matches he has that's the thing about this company there's a ton of guys you can make the exact same argument about tomohiro ishii like mvp of the g1 all the time like where's his shot i mean people said this about Abushi for a long time they say about sonata they said it about naito they said it about kenny omega for a long time right i mean there's a time and a place and i have enough faith to believe that they're probably going to do something big for evil i mean he's a dojo guy that's that's a huge huge thing for them he's you know he's a big star he moves merch um you know, he's a good promo. He's a good worker. So, I mean, I think, I don't, now, do I ever think he's going to win? I don't know what more they could do to pull the trigger. Do I think he'll ever be IWGP champion? No. Um, but do do I think he could have a main event run? Like, yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I think, I think it's on the way. I could see him being IC champion, you know, main eventing some of these, you know, not, I won't say small shows, but, you know, kind of your B pay-per-views, your, your new beginning type shows, you know, Shows like that, he could be the main event, you know, defending that IC title. Uh, but yeah, like let's like you, I don't really see Evil right now as somebody who could be IWGP champion. It's no knock against Evil. The thing with New Japan, it's just loaded with phenomenal wrestlers, 
a lot of guys who deserve title runs. You, you know, he's in the he's in line with guys like Will Ospreay and uh, Zack Saber Jr. and uh, Shingo Takagi, like Tomohiro. It's just work, great worker after great worker. A bunch of guys that could be the IWGP champion who deserve shots, and he's in that he's in that mix of guys right there. And it's it's going to be hard for him to kind of get on, you know, getting these heavyweight title shots. Agreed. Totally agree. So now we're going to move on to the main event of the evening for the Never Open Weight Championship. We had the champion Hiroki Goto failing to defend his Never Open Weight title against the Dragon Shingo Takagi. We have a new Never Champ. Shingo wins his first singles championship in New Japan. I um, I thought this match was great. Uh I thought both matches were right in the same line of being super hoss matches, hard hitting, you know, everything of that nature. Um, third singles match we've seen between Shingo and Goto and Shingo, you know, uh, breaking the, uh, you know, the, the draw between them. So he kind of takes the lead in this series. I liked this better than the last match we saw of them, but less than the G1 match that they had. Although again, with an asterisk next to it, with a better crowd, I might have even enjoyed this to a higher level. Um, I thought that this was similar in some ways to the Ishii and Evil match, but where this peaked higher was with the creativity of the closing sequence and um, just uh, there, there was more excitement. There was a lot more near falls. There was a lot more big spots uh, going down the end, and the, the closing sequence was really killer. It was really everything. Yeah, a lot of uh, big moves here. We've got Shingo hitting that uh, super Death Valley driver from the top. Goto doing the super code red off the top to Shingo. A lot of great counters. An awesome pumping bomber just knocking uh, Goto's head off his shoulders. A lot of hard strikes and headbutts. A lot of great counters of the GTR and um, the last of the dragon. A great near fall towards the end there with the Made in Japan. And Goto kicks out, and then finally Shingo hits that last of the dragon to get the, the win there. Yeah, um, like I said, the closing segments and sequences on this were just really, really awesome. Uh, they, they got me to bite a couple times. There were some times where I thought Goto might have actually uh, wrapped this thing up. Uh, Shingo was just too much of a man for him, and uh, he outmanned him. And uh, this was really, really, really great. Um, you know... These two matches, if I had to, you know, put put a uh, expectation, I think come year end, I think we'll be seeing Shingo and Goto as a fight of the year candidate. Uh, Ishii and Evil, I think it'll get snuffed out just barely, barely. the cut. Yeah, but uh, I mean, you can't ask for you know two better you know uh, closing matches on night one. I mean, th- th- this was just really awesome. Yeah, and then we also kind of had some uh, foreshadowing of maybe a Shingo and Show match. Show was on commentary there. We know the rivalry that Show and Shingo had last year with Show kind of being obsessed and really wanting to beat Shingo and failing to beat him in Best of the Super Juniors. And now this is an, an open weight title. Shingo could take on junior heavyweight challenger, so there could be a Shingo Show match down the line as long as Shingo holds this never open weight title. Yeah, I, I really liked that uh, that that sequence uh, when they're on the outside and show was on commentary and 
Shingo kind of just like smiled at him, looked over and kind of like motioned to him. And, you know, Shingo hadn't even won the match yet. Like, <laughs> right. He's not even the never champion. And he's already like kind of trying to get under the skin of show again. And, um, you know, show Michaels, man, I, I think that they got big things in, in play for him. So, uh, you know, that would be very exciting down the line to kind of see that, uh, you know, that rivalry reignited. But um, this match just freaking ruled. Uh, when it was over, I was like, uh, this is going to be a tough one to beat on this tour. This is probably going to end up being match of the tour. Um, I think we'll, we'll talk about it night two. I think there's a match that outdid it. Yeah. Believe and, it or not. And uh, real quick before we move but on. This match is awesome. Yeah. And real quick before we move on to night two, Shingo had some interesting post-match comments. Um, you know, he says he's happy to have double goal. You know, he's now never champion, never six-man champ, and he's going to be a fighting champion. Uh, he says this is his start to elevate the championship. He says Naito's championship is supposedly the top title, but he feels his new championship is, and he will tear things up as champions and will roar as a dragon. So kind of interesting there, kind of taking shot at the, the double title and Naito's championships. Well, you know, we've seen in the past that, a title, you know, they always say like, uh, you know, the title doesn't make the man, the man makes the title. And uh, for the most part, that tends to be true. I mean, look at the uh, U.S. title when it was on Kenny. It almost became sort of the de facto unofficial world title, you know, uh, even, you know, co-main eventing the Tokyo Dome, which is not something <laughs> that uh, it, it's ever come close to doing ever, ever again since he dropped the title to uh, Jay White. Um, and there's plenty of instances where that sort of thing has happened in the past uh, across different companies. When you have a secondary title, you put it on someone strong. Look at uh, John Cena in 2015 when he was the U.S. champion. You know, he, he made that title relevant. I think that Shingo could bring a sense of relevancy. Not to say they haven't done a good job with the Never uh, title over the past few years. They have. But, I mean, if, if they really got behind him and he really is getting pushed, I mean, that could be a huge platform for him. So, um or two months from now, he could drop it like like all the other Never Champions. <laughs> right. So you just never know. So we do have a few questions here. So first from Reddit user Asayo Jimbo. He says, Goto and Ishii are each five-time Never Champs. I feel like that's been an elephant in the room since Goto beat Kenta at Wrestle Kingdom. Goto seeks to exemplify the division, but is still tied with his stablemate Ishii. Do you think there will be a tie-breaking number one contenders match between the two? Um, I would say no. Uh, just because they are stablemates. Um, I think that's something that people would love to see. Um, we've seen them wrestle so many times over the years. I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but if you had to name two guys that have had you know, more singles matches against each other in New Japan current day, I don't know if you could name three or four you know, pairs of guys that have had more matches than them. So, I mean, we've seen them go at it. So, so, so many times over the years. Keep in mind, Goto was not part of Chaos until like two years ago. So they've got a long storied rivalry between these two. And uh, but now that they are in the same, uh, you know, faction, I don't see them going head to head. And um, they could, I mean, sure, Goto could hypothetically be used as uh, a number one contender. You know, um, that's something they like to do is have the champion go straight into a number one contender match sometimes. But so far, there's nothing in the story that tells me that they're planning to do that. If anything, Ishii beating Evil tells me he's a much more viable contender already. And I don't, if, if he was going to have a number one contender match, I don't think it's going to be with uh, Goto. Yeah, with the, the Chaos guys that kind of 
tend to stick away from the faction versus faction matches unless it's G1. So, right. yeah, I don't think we're going to see Ishii and Goto in a number one contender situation for the Never title. Uh, next question from Reddit user PSAN91. He says, with Shingo finally getting his first singles goal, what are your thoughts on potential opponents for his title? I like Hanare calling Shingo out as that would be an awesome strong style match. I also love that the tease a match with show to reignite that rivalry. Uh, what are your thoughts? So, yeah, uh, as we cover night two, we'll mention, yeah, Toa Hanare did uh, kind of call out Shingo to the English commentary team. I think a Shingo Hanare match would be awesome. That would be a, you know, definitely a, a strong style Haas match and would be kind of a good way to kind of, Elevate Hanare and also kind of give Shingo a great defense there. We just talked about the show rivalry. I think that'd be great. I really would love to see Shingo kind of take advantage of that open weight and, yeah, open the doors and challenge heavyweights and junior heavyweights and just have bangers with the whole roster defending this never title. There's only one door I want to see open, and it's the forbidden <laughs> door. Yeah, send him over to AEW. You have a defending never title over there, too. Um, but no, absolutely. I mean, I think it's really cool that they've already kind of had, you know, a tease of two different, uh, potential viable challengers, you know, with show and then also with, uh, Hanare. I also think that the interactions between Ishii and Shingo during, uh, the six man tag the following night, and we know that they're going to be wrestling each other again on this tour. I think that's a key indicator that Ishii is, if not the immediate long term, He's one or the other. He's either going to be the next title challenger or, you know, a future one. Uh, either way, like with Shingo, there's so many potential matchups, excluding the ones that we've mentioned. I mean, there's a million guys out there that he either has wrestled once or never before. So, I mean, yeah, it, it really breathes a lot of new life into this uh, division. We even could hypothetically get, like, Shingo and Will Ospreay down the That's road. That's what again. I was going to say. Yeah, that could definitely open the door for a rematch between both of these guys for that epic best of super junior finals. I mean, I think that there's money in that match, so I don't think they're going to do it anytime soon or anything like that. And if they do, they should probably do it on a big show. But I mean, yeah, that that would be really awesome to see at some point down the line. So I'm I'm excited. I like it. Next question from Reddit user Viking Pain says Shingo has been booked very strongly ever since he stepped foot into New Japan. Where do you think his ceiling is? I really think he could hold the IWGP title one day. I agree. I think that Shingo has the potential to be a potential IWGP champion. Yeah, I, I could see him main eventing the Tokyo Dome. So as IWGP champion or, or a challenger, I definitely think he has that potential and has that ceiling. Yeah, it's been a long time since they've brought in a Japanese talent that kind of from the outside that kind of brings like that ruggedness and sort of like that aura of, you know, being like, I wouldn't say unbeatable, but like just being a badass like that. Uh, their wrestling styles are nothing alike, but for some reason it gives me like Takayama vibes a little bit when he came in from the outside and he was just putting people on notice in New Japan. And I, I guess also like when Suzuki first came back. So, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see him like he's going to be a main eventer regardless. Yeah, definitely going to be a, a big draw for the company moving forward. Uh, next question from friend of the show, Josh McLaughlin, a.k.a. Josh number two. Uh, were you surprised I switched to never title so quickly? Uh, not really. Um, in fact, we were kind of predicting it. 
Uh, I would totally see why some people might be a little bit surprised. But, you know, keep in mind, it was mentioned earlier, Goto's held this title four other times previously. This is his fifth, you know, uh, run with the belt, and it is the never title. It switches fairly quickly in New Japan. Um, for someone to have a long reign with it is kind of notable. So Yeah, I mean, it was noteworthy last year that uh, Kenta had, like, what, two successful defenses before he ended up dropping it to Goto. Yeah. So the fact that he, you know, held on to it as long as he did and had successful defenses was a big deal. And Goto held it, like, all year. Like, if not last year, but the year prior to that. Like, he dropped it a couple times, but won it back in, in short uh Kind of doing that, that rivalry with, like, Elgin and Taichi. Right. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's the never title. It, it switches hands pretty frequently, honestly. Then last question here on this subject from Twitter follower at Chris Ertz. He says, how excited are we to see Shingo spend the rest of the year putting on bangers of heavyweights and junior heavyweights to elevate the Never Championship to unforeseen heights? Yeah, uh, very, very, very excited. I mean, uh, we've been nothing but extremely high in Shingo since he uh, initially made his debut. Um, something fun to do. I mean, what's... What's a heavyweight match that you want to see in a junior heavyweight match that you'd like to see in the Never Division for the title? Well, obviously, we've been talking about um, show and Ishii. Those are definitely two I want to see. I would pick, I want. pick one. One heavyweight and one junior match. So outside of show and Ishii? You could name those, but that would be boring. Maybe maybe one that hasn't happened before. You know, something, something exciting to you. Let's see. Um, from the junior heavyweight division, let's see. I would do Shingo Takagi versus. I think Shingo versus Ryu Lee. That was going to be my pick. Would be a great never title match. That would be cool, right? Yeah. Uh, That was going to be my pick. Uh, For juniors, oh, man. You took my pick. (laughs) I was going to sound so smart and make that that be my pick. But, uh, mm, God, is it? Is it cheating if I say Marty? No, why would it, I don't think so. Um, well, is he still even going to be considered a junior? Uh, I don't see why he wouldn't be. I mean, that match. Pro- there's nothing telling me that that match is going to happen. How about this one? This might be fun. Um, Shingo versus Despy. Mm, yeah, I like that. Yeah, and then uh, let's do a let's do a cool heavyweight one. Something we haven't mentioned. I mean, it could be something that's happened before or not. Uh, never, let, never title. Shingo versus Kenta. Shingo Suzuki. Oh, yes. Both of those matches are freaking <laughs> bangers. Yeah, because I mean we've seen him we've seen him wrestle Goto. We've seen him wrestle Ishii. We've seen him wrestle Jeff Cobb. You know? Yeah, gotta mix it up a little bit. Yeah. What Suzuki. about what about Shingo versus Archer? If he's still around. Yeah. Um <laughs> I mean Shingo and Mox run it back. Yeah, yeah. We've we've seen it before. I mean, I don't know if they I don't know if they are gonna have Mox wrestle for the Never Belt, but they could have Suzuki. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so a lot of great uh, potential matchups there for Shingo as never open weight champion. Oh, Shingo and Zack Sabre. Ooh, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So now we're going to move on to night two of New Beginning in Sapporo. Had a little bit of bigger attendance here. 5,690 the attendance here from night two. Tai Chi a draw. That's right. And... Um, <laughs> Definitely a, a way more lively crowd. This crowd was into the show, was popping for stuff the whole night. This crowd definitely uh, elevated the show, 
compared to the crowd from night one. Uh, we opened things up with Toa Hanare defeating Yotasuji. So, uh, I really enjoyed this match, and not for the kind of reasons that we'd mentioned previously. So, you know, with the type of like wrestler that Suji is, being like a big bruiser and sort of being an imposing figure, I always kind of thought he'd be a good foil for Tohanari, you know, and um, that they could have like really cool matches. We even kind of envisioned like maybe a similar story to like the one Hanari had with like Ishii a, a couple years ago or a year ago. Um, but that's not what we got here. And, you know, we've been disappointed in the past by some of the Suji Hanari matches. This match was a far cry from any match we've ever seen from Hanari and Suji for this reason. This was Toa Hanari's coming out party. Mm-hmm. This was a match where he didn't look like a guy that was 15-50 with young lions who just, he's a little above them, so he's going to pin them. This is a match where Hanari fucked up Yoda Suji. <laughs> yeah. And Yoda Suji was wrestling completely from underneath and only got a couple hope spots and then got pinned. And like, Suji looked, you know what? Suji looked good in this match too because he wrestled that underdog role against Hanari. And they had a really good uh, kind of chemistry that way as opposed to doing the whole like bruiser strong style like 50-50 thing. Um, Hanari looked great. Suji looked good from underneath, and this Hanari beat him definitively. Yeah, and, you know, it's one of those weird things with Suji. You know, a guy his size, you know, typically wouldn't be playing an underdog role, right? Um, but he does a great job. There was one other time, there was another couple matches that he's kind of been that under underdog role, and we're like, he, he does really well in that under underdog Cause, role. Cause he has a lot of fire, yeah, and, and his comebacks are awesome. Like when he speared Hanari at one point, I mean, he speared the crap out of him, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I mean, Hanare really took it to him, was in control. You know, I'm, I assume he called the match. Like, he pretty much guided Suji to a very passable opening match. And yeah, then, it looked really good. A lot of, you know, those, those strikes we were talking about looking really good. And then, you know, killed him with that lariat towards the end there. Yes. And then hit him with the toe bottom once again to get the pinfall. Yeah, and so, and then when he was done, he uh, got on the mic and he was like, "I'm done with these young boys. I'm done with these young lines." Like, you know, basically saying it's Tohanari's coming out party. And then he called out Shingo. I don't know if he's ready for the smoke with Shingo, but uh, yes. he looked good here. <laughs> That's a bold move, Kyle. Let's, <laughs> let's see if it pays off for him. <laughs> oh man! So then we uh, move on to six man tag action with uh, Hiroshi Tenzom and Obanakanishi and Tiger Mask. Taking on the team of Tomioka Hanma, uh, Togi Makabe, and Yu Yamura. Uh, again, um, copy and paste what I said about the previous match uh, involving Nakanishi and the, the uh, New Japan dads. I didn't particular th- particularly think it was great, but this crowd was really into it. Final match of Nakanishi uh, in you know Sapporo, so a lot of uh, tribute and respect paid to him. But all in all, this was just kind of your standard six-man tag with, you know, dads and lions. Yep, and Tiger Mask hitting the Tiger Suplex on you, Yamura. Like we mentioned, they've kind of had this kind of, you know, mentorship rivalry, or excuse me, uh, relationship going on there between Tiger Mask and Yamura. They've all teamed together a lot, and so kind of makes sense that his senpai would kind of get the pinfall over him here. And then uh, post-match, Nakanishi could grab the mic and just talk about his upcoming retirement and thanks the fans. Yep. So then we move on. We had El Fantasmo defeating Gabriel Kidd. So this was one I was really looking forward to. I had never seen Gabriel Kidd previous to this. Um, oh, you know what? 
that was the one interesting thing that happened in the opening match the night previous was uh, El Fantasmo and uh, Ishimori attacked Gabriel Kidd on the outside. That's right, yeah. And that kind of uh, led to this match. So um, Gabriel Kidd and El Fantasmo uh, won singles match uh, last year where uh, in, a, in a promotion where Gabriel Kidd was the champion. Gabriel Kidd actually beat him. Um, he also defeated him in a uh, triple threat match for that same promotion, same title. I don't have the stats, you know, uh, in front of me. So kind of a lot riding on this. You know, Gabriel Kidd's a guy who has been on the independent scene for a long time, could have hypothetically came in under similar circumstances to Phantasmo. Not saying he's the same level of star in the UK as Phantasmo was or works for his bigger promotions, but, I mean, there are certain guys that could have come in you know, as established stars. Instead, with Gabriel Kidd, he's choosing to be a young lion after being on the independent scene for years. Right, and the commentary did a great job of kind of telling that story, like asking Kidd what was the hardest thing was forgetting everything he learned on the independence and just totally forgetting that style and pretty much, you know, going from scratch and learning the style from the dojo system, cutting his hair, wearing the black trunks, and being limited i'm sure if we watch previous matches i'm sure he had a great move set but here you know he's limited to that young lion move set and you know being treated like a young lion and it could have been a situation with like a juice robinson where juice kind of came in he was a young lion so to speak but he still kind of had his own gear and a kind of a gimmick but even to that they kind of had gabriel kid go to the very bare basics yeah and i mean that you bring up a good point it's not exactly the same obviously because you know, Juice worked for WWE. It's a little different. But that's everything you said is absolutely true. I think it's smart what they're doing when you think about it. Uh, I think it's smart to bring in some of these uh, guys that are, you know, experienced. They're traveled. They've got it. They've got ring time. They've got, ex- you know, they've got a lot of like work under their belt. But, you know, if you bring them into the company and they're in their, same gimmicks, their same gear, their same character, everything like that. Now you're asking uh, an audience who is unfamiliar with their outside work to become invested in them, and they have no real, there's nothing behind them to get them invested. You could go the route of, like, what they did with, like, Moxley and, you know, um, go like, Shingo and uh, Phantasmo. You could do the vignettes and build them up and bring them in with a gimmick. That works sometimes, but some of these guys maybe aren't ready for that kind of role. So I think it's smart when you take those guys and you break them down. You say, no, you're coming in as a young lion. Now it's like there's intrigue. Oh, he's a lion. Now now there's a clean slate for people to actually, you know, we know the young lion system works not only for training people to wrestle, but also getting fans invested into their story because they feel like they're with them from the beginning. Even if in some of these LA Dojo guys cases, they're really not with them from the beginning. Right. The audience doesn't know that. You know what I mean? They feel like this is the beginning. They don't know Gabriel Kidd already beat Phantasma and probably is a really well-established wrestler. And then what's smart about it is that it creates the illusion that um, New Japan has built these guys up when in fact they're like pretty experienced and have a lot. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So it makes them seem like they're dojo guys, they're homegrown talent. You know right. what I mean? Sort of like how when, um, it's not exactly the same, but like you bring in like, 
Matt Riddle into NXT or Adam Cole or whoever, and then all of a sudden they're NXT, they're they're PC guys, right? I def- but I, they're not really PC. Right, guys. I think a better example, like uh, Seth Rollins, kind of plucking him as Tyler Black and working that FCW kind of uh, scene there, and he kind of like kind of rebuilt him. And now you look at you know you you would consider him like one of the top you know graduates of the quote unquote PC system, but that guy was killing it in the Indies long before that, right? And you know you kind of compare that to. Um, you compare that to like the 2002 OVW class, mm. you know, um, sure. Randy Orton and, you know, John Cena and, uh, Batista, I guess to some degree, sure. They'd had some experience, but not really. They really were like built from scratch, built from scratch and homegrown, you know, but these guys, uh, that are coming out of the PC in a lot of cases, almost none of them, very few of them are like literally, I mean, like Velveteen, for instance, the guy that you could maybe make that argument about now, but the majority of the NXT stars, no, they, they all came off the indies, but like the general audience almost doesn't even really realize that anymore. You know what I mean? And um, it's kind of smart. New Japan, it's not the same degree because if, if those guys, if the guys that were being brought in actually had established names and drew money and were stars, then they wouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't be coming in as lions, right? But the fact that they had have had you know length, some length of career, some ring experience, some travel, and and all that, it's smart that they're bringing them as young lions, and then these people feel invested because they feel like they're part of New Japan. You know, they're not some outside export, which I think is smart. Yeah. So uh, we had a question here from Reddit user Dom Homie One Hundred One asking what our thoughts were on Gabriel Kidd here in this match. I thought he looked good. I thought the match was really good. Um, I thought, like, I wasn't as impressed with him as maybe my initial um, viewing of, like, Fredericks or uh, Clark Connors. But he's not that far. He probably is just as good of them as them. This was just based off one match, and he was, you know, in an underdog role against El Fantasmo. But he didn't look out of place. Yeah, I mean, he looked very good. I mean, he looked good. But he looked like, good. Like you mentioned, like, it was not like a Carl Fredericks moment or a Clark Connors moment. Even like Alex Coughlin, I feel like all those guys are kind of a step ahead of him right now. Um, but, you know, it was a nine-minute match. He did the very bare, basic young lion moves. He was the underdog. He looked good in that role. There was one roll-up where I thought he they kind of got me. Uh, I think Phantasma was going for a Hurricane Rana. It, it was that the moment towards the end of the match. Yeah. And then he... He sat down on it and cradled him, and I was like, "I was like, oh my god, they're going to give Gabriel Kidd a win over Phantasmo. But uh, you know, it was for naught. Um, Phantasmo actually pinned him with uh, what does he call that splash off the top? It's just a splash. Yeah, I don't think it has a name yet, but yeah, just pin him with the top rope splash. Um, it's almost the same splash that like Rey Mysterio does the tadpole, spl- the tadpole, <laughs> yeah, uh, splash. But um. You know, that was pretty significant that he beat Gabriel Kidd without having to use the CR2, um, pinned him clean at nine minutes, and then afterwards, Phantasmo continued to attack him. He did hit him with the CR2, left him laying, so. Yeah, I definitely think they're playing the seeds there for kind of a rivalry between these two down the line. He's got good size, attractive guy, good look, he can work. Uh, he seemed to have a good connection with the crowd, good timing. I mean, he's he's a great prospect. That's This is a good get for New Japan. Yeah, definitely. So next up, we had a preview match for the Never Six-Man title match coming up this week at Corican Hall. I believe that match is on Thursday, I believe. 
It was the challengers, Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Robbie Eagles taking on the champion, Shingo Takagi, Evil, and Bushi. This was a non-title matchup to get us hyped for the Thursday title match. Yep, so obviously with uh, Goto, Evil, Shingo, and Ishii coming off big singles matches the night previous, you know, this was uh, there's a lot of kind of animosity going into this. And obviously with Eagles having defeated Bushi uh, with you know, tapping them out the night previous as well. Uh, a lot of good stories kind of going into this match, and I thought this match really delivered. Uh, I'm excited. It's one of the first, like, six-man tag title matches I've been excited for in a long time. Yeah, I really enjoyed this match. I was, like, 3.75 on this match. I thought there was great chemistry between all six guys here. You got, you know, six uh, really great workers here, guys that always have great matches with each other. This is a great combo of these Chaos and LIJ guys. I'm really looking forward for that title match on Thursday, and I hope it's one of those situations where it's not one of those situations where the preview match is better than the actual title match. I'm pretty sure that title match is probably the main event of that Road 2 show, so hopefully it gets a little bit more, more time, a little bit more drama, more near falls, and I think it could probably be a four-star plus match. Yeah, I mean, when it's... Given the fact that it's going to be the main event, it'll probably be very good. Is it from Corkin? Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be in front of the Corkin uh, crowd, so that they're also going to be really, really, really into it. But, I mean, um, one thing I noticed is just, like, we got a lot of Ishii Shingo uh, on this match, and you would have thought that we'd got, we would get more evil and Ishii, more Goto and Shingo, but that, and we did get some, but... Um, Ishii and Shingo seem to be a big highlight of the match. I don't know if it's just because they like to work together or if it's them hinting at something down the line. But I think the fact that Ishii defeated Evil, who is a stablemate and part of LIJ of Shingo's, uh, not only does that qualify him because that's a quality win, but it's also a win over his you know partner. So, I mean... Logic tells me Ishii's right in line for a title shot against Shingo. Right, and we do have some big shows coming down at the end of this month with the Tiger Tori retirement show and the Nakanishi retirement show. So, you know, those, those three big shows at Korkin at the end of the month. So you need some big matches for that. I could I could definitely see a Shingo Ishii uh, never title match main event in one of those shows. Anniversary show? Yeah, anniversary show is coming New, up in New March. Japan Cup is coming up. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of things. But, uh, yeah, I really thought this match was great. And then um, we got a continuation of the uh, the stoppage of Bushi uh, against Robbie Eagles, and that continued on this night as well. Yeah, similar finish. Locks in that Ron Miller special. Bushi grabs on the red shoes and, once again, verbally submits. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, Robbie Eagles, they've um, – last year we talked about how during the uh, – the junior tag league that they were really heating him up in his um, run with Will Ospreay as the birds prey. And a lot of people were like heaping praise on, on Will Ospreay at the time. We we're like, no, I mean, yes, Ospreay is great, but they're really gearing Robbie Eagles up for the future. And we've kind of seen that continue this year. You know, like I mentioned, he defeated Hiromu at the um, road to Tokyo dome and now he's got two wins over Bushi. Bushi is a quality junior in that division, and he's tapped him out twice. Um, he can't be too far off from a junior title shot. Definitely, yeah. You know, yeah, pinning Hiromu, these you know back-to-back victories over Bushi, I definitely see a title match coming down the line for Mr. Robbie Eagles. Um, then after this match, they announced that the Gorillas of Destiny had won the tag titles back 
at the New Beginning in Atlanta show, and we're going to talk about that just a little bit later. We're going to roll on here with Sapporo. So next we had John Moxley show Yo in Rusuke Taguchi defeating Minoru Suzuki, El Sparado, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and Doki. So I was completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I said last week that given the types of characters that were in this match, that this might end up being like shenanigans laced and uh, kind of like a, a, a lot of comedy. There was some stuff to laugh at, but it was because of the dichotomy that you got where you had John Moxley and Suzuki just straight up going after each other. Uh, I loved when John Moxley was coming out through the crowd and Suzuki was just like, fuck that. And yeah, <laughs> he's like, I'm going to meet you, boy. Yeah, and he met him like right in the in the freaking stands, which was awesome. Uh, but they never stopped. Like Suzuki and Moxley didn't care about the match. They didn't care about what was going on. They just kept going and yeah, just brawling. Literally the whole match. The match is happening in the ring, but those two are just still brawling outside the ring. And it was awesome. Yeah, like teasing like, you know, table spots. And oh, those table spots were scary. Yeah. And you know what? Um, again, I don't want to toot my own horn, but look at what happened. The night before, when Moxley was trying to play uh, Suzuki's game, Trading holds, trading, uh, you know, shoot submissions and strikes. He got bested. In this match, when it was on the outside, it was still pretty close, but you could tell that there was an edge to Moxley battling him on the outside. That's his world. That's his game. And I think that they're leaning into that kind of prediction. Um, so I feel kind of smart having said that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, like, show uh, Rapongi 3K and Taguchi, they're trying to have a match with, like, Despi and Kanemaru and Doki. And they all, they all did stuff, and we're getting stuff in. But, like, the whole time Suzuki and Moxley are just brawling. And at one point towards the end of this match, uh, Moxley and Suzuki are freaking brawling. And Taguchi gets in, and he's trying to, like, assist Moxley. And... Both Suzuki and Moxley turn around. They they kick him. <laughs> yeah, they boot him in the gut. They boot him in the gut, and I was like, you know, it was like Moxley didn't even realize who his partners were. All he knew is he just wanted to fight Suzuki, which I think is a smart way to go with Moxley. Him kind of having that lone wolf, you know, loner sort of character. Um, we we kind of wondered like, how's that going to play in New Japan because it's so faction based. There's so many tag team matches. Well, in this case, it works perfectly because all he has to focus on is Suzuki and. His partners, regardless of who they are, it doesn't matter. All he wants to do is get his hands on Suzuki. Yeah, and you know, overall, I thought this was a pretty good match with the stuff happening with the guys working in the ring, and then Moxley and Suzuki just killing each other outside of the ring. Uh, once again, similar finish here with Taguchi defeating Doki. This time, he taps him out with the Oh My Garankle ankle lock and gets the win there. And then uh, post-match, Mox and Suzuki just keep on brawling. I, I yeah, I loved the post match angle. I loved the actual match itself. I thought that this was just really, really, really fun, really exciting. Um, I even <laughs> there was the one moment where Taguchi was uh, doing the play call where they have a guy isolated in the corner. He had Sho and Yo running and you know attacking him, and they started trying to call John Moxley to come in. Yeah, that was like he's like he's like Moxley, Moxley. <laughs> he was like trying to call him in. Um, but the one funny thing, did you see the post match? Uh, promo where um <laughs> where um taguchi was like carrying john moxley's u.s title yeah because yeah moxley left the belt because he left to brawl suzuki and he's like people keep forgetting their titles laying around don't worry i've got them it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, hilarious but the the post match with mox and suzuki was awesome yeah brawling out the building yeah it was great 
I mean, they could still be fighting for all we know right now. Yeah. Uh, then before the next match, they announced some future dates. They announced a, a Hokkaido tour in July with uh, the tour ending with two big shows in Sapporo. So it's going to be seven dates. And, you know, New Japan really hasn't toured that area in a while. And, you know, kind of making up some time here. You know, we're not getting G1 during that time, that normal kind of G1 tour in that month. So switching things up with that Hokkaido tour here. Yeah, I it was all in Japanese. So I was like, I saw that they're announcing dates. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on? Like, <laughs> what? What? But then uh, it was a tour of Hokkaido. So I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see we you know how those shows are treated and what ends up being on those cards. So after that, we moved on to eight man tag team action as Tetsuya Naito, Sonata, Hiromu Takahashi, and Kenta. Or, oh, I'm sorry, six man tag. Uh, they defeated the team of Kenta, Jay White, and Taiji Ishimori. Man, I will say thank God for Hiromu and Taiji in this match. They definitely kind of brought a. A little bit of new breath to this match compared to the previous night. But once again, I mean, there was still a lot of shenanigans and heat and stuff like that. But it, I, This was fine. Like, I thought night, I thought everyone worked fine. I thought it was your standard six-man tag. And it didn't, it was, it didn't have, like, the slowing down and the, um, you know, and all, all that sort of stuff. But, like, there was nothing that was, I don't know, man, like... You know, when Naito and Kenta were in the ring together, it wasn't like they were trading a bunch of shots or having, like, really good sequences. Sonata and Jay White weren't, like, working holds and doing, you know, uh, crazy chain wrestling. Like, there was nothing for me to sink my teeth into. It was just a match. Yeah, that I just mean, it's seemed not- to be, It's just happening. And, like, I'm like, why? based on these two matches, why do I care about Kenta, Naito, and Jay White and Sonata happening? I was more excited for another Hiromu Taiji match. That's what I left away with this match. <laughs> Yeah, this this match lost my attention. Um, it wasn't as bad as the night before, but again, like I don't know, man. Like I just feel like Kenta, Naito, Sonata, those three in particular, and I guess Jay White too. But like those three in particular have been doing this for a long time. You know that you need to do something that's notable to kind of draw some attention or heat or excitement or in something to build to the next match, but like. There was really nothing, man. Like, I was just like, I don't know. And it's so out of character for all these guys. You know what I mean? Like, it'd be one thing if the match... They're preview matches, okay? These are preview matches. So I don't expect them to, like, blow my my mind and, like, have a classic or anything like that. Not far from it. But I expect them to do something story-wise. It doesn't even have to be an angle. It could just be, like, a moment in the match that... That shows us something, but there was nothing here. I mean, right. Am I wrong? Was no, I no, no? You're absolutely you know, spot on here. Part, and part of me feels like was I did, I did I not pay enough attention to the match because I feel like there was nothing here. Right, and especially too with being an Lij multi man on this show for years, we've praised like no matter what combination you put in for Lij six man, eight man, ten man tag, these guys always find a way to kind of gel together and have a really you know great match. Usually, their their multi man preview matches are in that three and a half to three point seven five range and. Here, they've been just pulling out barely three stars. It wasn't the match quality that bothered me. The match was fine. And, in fact, I thought this was your standard LIJ six-man tag. It was fine. It's by the numbers. But nothing happened that made me anticipate the matches between these four individuals having singles matches down the line. So I'm just like, 
where's that element? Yeah. And it was missing. So, yeah, so hopefully, you know, we got the matches coming up in Osaka. We'll, we'll give our predictions for that after we finish uh, Sapporo. But, yeah, I'm really hoping that these guys come out here, have their working boots on, have some great matches. With with Kenta and Naito, they're, I guess we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk about it. When it we're going to do our preview, so that's fine. All right, so moving on, we had the semi-main event of the evening. We had the RevPro British champion Zack Sabre Jr. successfully defending his title against Will Ospreay, defeating him at 28 minutes via ref stoppage. Yeah, so there's always something that's very special to me about having the RevPro title defended in New Japan. Um I do understand that they need to start having some title matches of their own <laughs> uh, in England. That would be great. But, you know, I don't know. Part of me is like a mark for, like, the history of wrestling. Like, I love, you know, um, joint wrestling, joint promotions, you know, world of sport, that sort of stuff. And, you know, the Repro British heavyweight title does have its roots to being like, there's a reason they call it the undisputed British title. Because at one point, it was the undisputed British heavyweight championship for at least for a short period of time. So, I mean, it's it's a very important title over there. And um, seeing it defended in, in Japan, like, and raised to new levels is always very exciting for me, especially with Zack Sabre kind of being that uh, perennial champion. Will Ospreay, on the other hand, being a guy who's never held the title and kind of needs to add that accolade to his uh, resume... Um, I think that this was a great story. I really liked the VTR that they uh, had prior to this. Although, Zach did mention, he said, Will Ospreay's never beat me in a one-on-one match, and he <laughs> never will. Yeah, we kind of uh, debunked that last week. Yeah, I looked at the hard numbers, and Will hasn't. Will's definitely not leading the series, but he's beaten him four times. I think that they're kind of getting, they think they're getting away with it because it's never been on a televised or pay-per-view level it's always been like a PWG and XWX or right, something that's progress kind of hard to get your hands on. Right. Um, but with that being said, I thought that the story that they told going into this was really great. You know, Zack Sabre being the submission master, Will Ospreay being the high flyer. And boy, did this match ever deliver. I said last week that I thought that this has a very good chance of uh, winding up being the match of the month in February. Um, but once I saw Shingo and, uh, and Goto, I thought that that was kind of out the window. I was wrong. This match, banger, freaking ruled. Um, I was literally tempted to go the full five. I'm not going to go the full five, but I'm very tempted. I thought that this was a nearly perfect match. I loved it. Yeah, this match was freaking incredible. I also went 4.75 here. Just, just everything about this match was just great. Uh, I love the way that Osprey was kind of blending his high-flying style with kind of the ground-based style of Sabre and kind of out-wrestling him and kind of keeping up with Sabre towards the beginning of the match. And I love the kind of callback to the G1. Sabre finished him off with the uh, that Cobra stretch. And uh, towards the beginning there, he tried to do the same thing, and Osprey kind of fought out of it and got to the ropes immediately. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, f- a few years ago, there was a big movement, especially uh, in the States, for like what people kind of deemed as being grapple fuck wrestling. And um, there was definitely like a North American version of that. But, you know, when you see some of these like British guys who can do like the British catch style, um, there's definitely a different kind of flavor to that sort of wrestling. And they always talk about like 
um, Zach being like a throwback to the world of sports style. And that's true, but there's very few guys who can actually go with him on that level and do that sort of thing. And in this case, we finally got somebody in New Japan who can do that because you have a lot of really great wrestlers, a lot of great technical guys, but they weren't brought up trained to do that style of wrestling. And Will Ospreay obviously has been because when you see what he's able to do, given a dance partner partner like Zack Sabre, you're not having to see Zack, you know, do the typical thing where he holds the guy down and maneuvers from hold to hold to hold and, and, you know, puts the guy in all these bad positions until he gets the ropes. There are definitely times where Will had to go to the ropes, but him and him and Will were just trading um, holds. Um, I know, I know like Sonata's very good and he's able to do some of this, but like Will's able to do it more in the vein of the British style of wrestling. Mm -hmm. And he, they, they know each other's counters. They know each other's uh, maneuvers and they're able to just kind of go back and forth, back and forth. And um, it was like super, super high speed level grappling, like even faster than the Sonata and Zack Sabre matches, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. And I thought these guys were just so great at the little things in this match. Yes. A lot, this match was very detail oriented. Uh, lots of you really had to kind of pay attention to some of the stuff they were doing. I absolutely love the counter of the Sasuke special towards the beginning of this match where he's going for the Sasuke oh, special and Sabre like pushed him. Yeah, pushed his arm. Dude, that I was loved it. that was freaking great. Like these guys are masters of the art of professional wrestling. Yeah. Uh for for and there's so many people who are like um down on Zack Sabre, although I think over the years he's gotten a lot more Dude, respect. Yeah. I used to be a big Zack Sabre Jr. hater because I would hear all the hype and all the stuff on, you know, PWG and all this stuff. And, you know, I saw him in the Cruiserweight Classic and I was like, what's what's all the hype about this guy? Nah, I've always I've always been behind Zack Sabre. I mean, I've, I saw his matches with Roddy. I saw his matches with uh, uh, with Chris Hero and, you know, that that wasn't that was enough to solidify this guy for me. But um. Will Ospreay, these two matches that they've had with one another in New Japan are very different from the matches that I've seen them have previous to this. Um, so it, it is interesting that they're not so much telling a story of a high flyer versus a submission wrestler as much as it is a high flyer who is showcasing his ability to wrestle on the level with Zack Sabre. Um, the other crazy thing was like, Many off, oftentimes in New Japan, especially with Will Ospreay, we talk about like the sequence that Will Ospreay has. You know his his finishing sequence. You know mm -hmm. and the five moves of doom. You know, and, <laughs> and Will's kind of been putting people away with that sort of thing. But uh, in this match, he never really was able to kind of get the timing or the space to sort of establish that. It was just uh, a breakneck pace where these guys were just back and forth, back and forth, trading momentum. So nobody really was able to establish that. This worked in Zack Sabre's um, favor because he was able to utilize those those opportunities to throw Will Ospreay off, catch him in holds, and that's really that really ended up being his undoing at the end of the match as he caught this guy in a reverse uh, triangle that put his lights out. And it, I loved the finish. Like when I saw him, when I saw him like lock up the legs, I was like, I was it's, like, it's done. Yeah. I was like, Oh, Will Ospreay's going out. Like, and he went out, out. And I was like, that is so smart. Um, this really feels like the beginning of something that's going to continue on. Maybe not 
in the next few shows, but throughout this year, you're going to see Zack Sabre and Will Ospreay wrestle again, and now people want Will Ospreay to win this British heavyweight title because he's never held it before. Zack was such a dick when he, he choked this guy unconscious, and then afterwards, like, the young boys are trying to come attend him, and he's, like, rubbing his head and just being a dick, and I'm like, yeah, oh. like, yeah not today, Will, not today. Yeah. <laughs> and now I want, I want, like, you know, it's hard to be, like, how, how can you get me to be behind Will Ospreay? Because Will Ospreay has so much going for him all the time that it's hard for me to, like, sympathize with him. You know, I usually generally, I obviously, and I'm not criticizing him, but I love watching him wrestle. He's like, to me, I'm like, he's one of the best in the world. How do I, how do I root for him? Right. Because he's so great. How do you get simpy on him? Yeah, how, how do I get simpy on him? How do I get any, like, real motivation to root for him i mean i root for him because he's great but that's why i root for him he's just he's better than everybody else and he and he goes out there and he proves it but now in this situation i'm like oh he got bested by by someone who i think he could beat, but he just didn't on this night and this guy is treating him like garbage being unsportsman like now i want to see will osprey beat zach saber that that's awesome yeah, the uh, great storytelling here and definitely i can see these guys being the same block in the g1 again and thinking they'll mix up it up uh, mix it up again later on this year But yeah, it's great stuff here You know, I think uh, this is Zach's best match In New Japan Oh yeah, you know, working on the neck You know, that previously injured neck of Osprey And uh, I like uh, commentary kind of explaining To you, like, why Sabre goes from hole to hole Saying, you know, the way he trains Like, if you can't submit a guy in six seconds You need to switch to something else and try and Tap him out with that. I mean, that is a real thing. I mean, when you when you train jujitsu, that's definitely a tenant. I, I don't know if it's six seconds specifically, but I mean, yeah. I mean, if if you um, unless like, for instance, if you're choking a guy out and you have the choke synced in, and it's been like six or seven seconds, one of two things is happening: either they are out, and you don't want to hold on to it any longer because you're gonna kill them, or you don't have it, so now, and I'm not saying you need to let go of the hold and, and work for something else, but now you need to adjust something so that you can actually cinch it in or change your approach because clearly if he's, you know, if he's good after six seconds, you're doing something wrong. Same thing with like an arm bar. You know, if, if you're wrenching on an arm bar, the guy's not tapping and it's not wrenched in, don't, bl- you, you will literally blow your own strength and your arms out trying to commit to a hold that maybe you don't actually have right so you need to use some smarts let go figure out a new approach to the, to what you're doing so that you can actually cinch in what you're what, what you have whether that be going for another hold or you know adjusting yourself so i mean th- that is a real thing it absolutely is uh we had a question here from reddit user highest fly flow he says, shit, Will Ospreay failed at his goal of beating uh, being Zach for his first time ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was heartbroken. Yeah, I mean, you know, Ospreay is struggling to, you know, beat Saber for the first time and get that British title for the first time. Man. Yeah, and, you know, this did a lot uh, to kind of, like, raise Zach's stock up. I mean, Zach's a guy who they've they made a star in that New Japan Cup, uh, not last year, but the year prior, and they've really made him they've made him look strong, you know, a majority of the time. But at the same at the same point, he's kind of been on the back burner a little bit over the past, you know, four or five months. They do that with guys, they cycle him in and out. Now, being showcased in this match with Will Ospreay, it's a definitive, strong, definitive win. He's back on top again. And it's like, okay, Zach's 
Zach's here again, you know? Yeah. And, and that was great. And it does, it does wonders for Will Ospreay. Now I'm like, does he belong in the heavyweights? You know? Right. Cause you know, Ospreay is, he's still not officially heavyweight. He still classifies as a junior heavyweight. So if you think about the new Japan logic, Saber's always been a heavyweight. So it makes sense for the heavyweight to beat the junior heavyweight. Right. Um, but I think this was a step in that direction. It was a heavyweight title match. So once again, we're getting that kind of tease of Osprey kind of teetering between both divisions. And as we go through the year, I think best of the super juniors is going to be a big answer to kind of where Will Osprey stands. I agree. Love this match. Yeah. Loved it. Freaking phenomenal. If you have not watched this match yet, I know there was a Super Bowl this weekend, <laughs> um, you know, and a lot of stuff going on, but you need to catch up. You need to watch Will Ospreay versus Zack Sabre Jr. from night two, new beginning of Sapporo. Freaking phenomenal. It's going to be very hard to top this for February match of the month. There's also, like, towards the end, so many times where it looked like Will was going to get Stormbreaker. Yes, there was a lot of great Stormbreaker uh, counters there. And Zach just kept getting out of it. But, yeah, great match. Um, That's going to take us to the main event of night two. Um, The Rainmaker, Kazushiko Kata, defeating the Lord Emperor Taichi at 30 minutes and 48 seconds. Yeah, before we talk about the match, let's t- let's talk about Tai Chi and being in the Sapporo main event in the attendance. And I kind of want you to tell the listeners kind of like what we were talking about off the air, just kind of why Tai Chi's been in these main event spots these last few years. Well, if you watch these shows and you notice the fan reaction to him, uh, you know, you notice that there are a lot of Tai Chi supporters, and even if they're not supporters, Huge reactions to him, whether positive or negative, in Sapporo. Uh, makes total sense because he is a local hometown boy. And over the past few years, as they've kind of uh, progressed him in his role as a heavyweight and, you know, given him titles and put him in the G1 and, you know, uh, kind of put him to the forefront of Suzuki Goon, uh, they've given him opportunities to headline in Sapporo. Um, I don't have the, the uh, specific numbers in front of me, but I was uh, I read a post that someone posted where they basically show, showed how over the past three years, every time Tai Chi has headlined in Sapporo at New Beginning in Sapporo, the night that he headlines outdraws the other night. So I was thinking about it, and I was like, you know, why is it that every year after Wrestle Kingdom is over, you always end up with a New Beginning you know, show whether it's Naito or I think uh, I'm trying to remember who do you wrestle? Was it Tanahashi one? I think he wrestled Tanahashi in the New Japan Cup one year, but um, he definitely wrestled. Did he wrestle Naito two years in a row? He might have, yeah. He did, yeah. So he wrestled Naito both years, and both of those shows did really well. And I mean, you could definitely uh, Naito's a draw, so I mean, you could definitely uh, put some of that on him. But then in this case, he's opposite of Okada. Now you could just chalk it all up to the guys he's wrestling. But listen to the reactions that he's gotten all those different nights on those shows. I don't think that it's a coincidence that he's doing big numbers in Sapporo. And I think New Japan knows that. And that's why they're putting him in these prominent positions where, you know, Taichi might not be able to draw, uh, you know, not that he doesn't draw, but he he's not a main event player that can draw, say, in Tokyo necessarily or, or you know, uh, what have you, at different places. But in this town... He is a big draw, so they put him in main event spots in Sapporo. It's, it makes total logical sense at that point. And I'm like, 
that's why they keep doing it. I used to think it was because he wasn't getting prominent spots at Wrestle Kingdom, and so this was kind of the make good. Maybe there is an element of that, but it's because he's a draw there. Right. You know, typically the crowds are kind of 50-50, let's go Tai Chi, go home Tai Chi, but in these Sapporo shows, it's like 90% let's go Tai Chi and a very small smattering of go home Tai Chi. And, you know, being that hometown boy and being up against these guys like Okada and Naito in these big spots, you know, these Sapporo fans, they want to see that hometown Hokkaido boy, you know, get in there and mix it up with the top guys of New Japan. Yeah. So now let's uh, talk about the matchup here. What are your thoughts on Tai Chi and Okada? I love this match. I thought it was really good. Uh, so I did thought the match was very good as well, but I don't think I loved it quite as much as you did. Um, I went four stars flat here. Um, personally, for me, I felt like the match just went too long. This match uh, was went you know over thirty minutes, thirty minutes forty eight seconds. It was your typical you know thirty minute Okada New Japan style main event and for me just after watching that already close to 30 minutes saber osprey just how phenomenal that match was i just felt like this just went on a little bit too long for me i felt like they could have accomplished what they were trying to do in 10 minutes less time than what they did here um yeah i mean i definitely think that there's something to be said had they chosen to go that route i don't think every single um you know, main event in New Japan needs to be an epic and needs to go 30 minutes. Um, and obviously we saw that kind of evidenced the previous night. I mean, those two matches on night one didn't go over 30 minutes. Um, and there is that that is something that people kind of, um, you know, kind of complain about when it comes to uh, Okada and the formula that's kind of used when it comes to his matches, you know. But with that being said, this match to me really, really delivered uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, I thought that they told a really fantastic story. You know, they talked about how uh, Taichi and Okada had been, um, you know, they wrestled in two that was it two thousand eight. Yeah, so it was like twelve years ago. Their one singles match, Taichi uh, defeated uh, a young lion Okada, um, and then. Tai Chi, you know, is not from the dojo system. He was kind of brought in, what would they call him, the, one of the Black Knights? Yeah. Um, I think it was like him, Milano Collection AT, Tomohiro yeah. Ishii, and somebody else. I don't remember who. Yeah, I think I think those were like the three main, I believe. There's another one. and it, It's it's Hanma. Okay, Hanma. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, at a certain point, he kind of went on an excursion, and the day that they announced his excursion was the same day that they announced Okada's. And so they they both went off, uh, and then when Okada came back, he completely lapped Taichi, went straight to the main event scene, and he's been a main eventer ever since that time. That was like 2010, basically. And all, all at the same time, when Taichi came back, he kind of found himself in the exact same role that he'd previously been in. And he's only now, over the past couple of years, started to really be elevated to a level to where he's getting accolades and he's getting uh, attention. So, I mean, all this time he's been having, like, seething, like, jealousy and animosity towards Okada. Not just Okada, but all the, the big stars in New Japan. And Okada kind of exemplifies and embodies everything that 
Tai Chi sort of hates and, you know, is jealous of. So, I mean, that it tells a really great story. And then, you know, we talked about the post-match beatdown from the night previous where he attacked Okada's neck. So going into this match, Okada comes in taped up and Taichi has a, a great target to attack. And he really, really did a, did a great job attacking Okada's neck. And one thing I appreciate about it, you know, some people don't necessarily like body part matches, but I like it when it doesn't necessarily have to be something where it's like he's putting nerve holds on him and he's holding him in a headlock and he's cranking on his neck for long periods of time. It wasn't that. It was Taichi kicking and clubbing his neck the whole match. Right, and also setting up that stretch plum submission hold. Yes, and the funny thing was Okada tweaked his neck off of... The, the match started hot and almost immediately there on the outside and Okada did the big boot over the uh, barricade and then did the uh, the leaping um, crossbody over the barricade to the outside. And um, he landed it, but when he landed it, he hurt his neck, and he was selling the neck from that point on. And that's That was like just a few minutes in the match. From that point, Taichi took over. Taichi was working on top, and Okada was working from underneath, which is kind of a strange role reversal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've seen Taichi work on top with some, some of the uh, bigger stars. Uh, one match that comes to mind is the, the one with Naito more recently, which that was like the first time that that happened because in the past he was kind of working from underneath. So they're, they're really kind of showcasing Taichi as being like someone who I wouldn't say is equal, but he's competitive with the top guys in the company, whereas a year or two ago he really wasn't. You know, he was solely relying on t- uh, cheap tricks to sort of be, com- you know, able to even be in their league. And now... It, it's a it's a totally different story. He's able to use actual fighting tactics and showcase his skills against these guys. Um, you're totally right. I think 30 minutes could have been too long, but for me watching it, at no point did I think that it was slow, dragging, boring. I literally enjoyed it the whole way through. I I don't think it was Tai Chi's best match he's ever had, mm-hmm. but I think it was the best wrestled and complete story that he's ever been involved in in the, in the new japan ring uh probably because okada's the best guy at putting together matches he's one of the, he's brilliant at it um you know i'm convinced of it i don't know how they totally come up with the aging of their matches but okada his matches are always so perfect and well thought out that it has to be i have to credit him because either that or whoever's doing putting his matches together for him but um, I, I wouldn't criticize this match for being too long because it, it didn't drag or draw it down. The only reason to me that you might criticize it being too long is if you're like, Taichi shouldn't be going 30 minutes with Okada. I could see an argument for that. My only thing is, Taichi went 30 minutes with Okada. Right. And almost won. So I think that that's a pretty cool elevation of his character at that point. Um, and keep in mind, Okada also was coming in with the injury, and that was exploited the whole match. So I, I really, I dug this. I mean, but again, I'm an old school wrestling fan, and so I kind of like that stuff. Yeah, for me, like, I had no problem with the concept of Tai Chi going 30 minutes with Okada. Definitely you want to elevate Tai Chi. I don't know, maybe for me, maybe the selling segments went just a little bit too long with, you know, Tai Chi working over the neck. But again, that's just me. Um, I'm sure people have, will have various opinions on this matchup. But overall, I still thought it's told a great story. Tai Chi was elevated here. He looked great. Like we said, it wasn't his best, you know, in-ring matchup. I thought the Tai Chi, I mean, the Ishii matches he's had last year were a little bit better than this as far as the in-ring quality. 
but from a story point match and a rivalry with somebody and kind of the story they were telling here, thought it was executed very well. Um, I love, you know, Tai Chi's uh, back suplexes that he was doing, focusing on that neck, uh, just dropping Okada on his head. Um, and then the that, that Gato clutch near fall towards the end where he uh, distracts the ref, hits a low blow, gets a Gato clutch. Okada literally kicked out. At 2.9999999. Yeah, it's one of my favorite spots of his matches. Um, that, and then he also hit the last ride powerbomb, and then, you know. That was another good near fall. That was a great near fall. Uh, one thing I thought was worth mentioning, there's a point where uh, Tai Chi tried to use the Iron Claw, and Okada was able to uh, avoid it, hit him with, I think he hit him with the drop kick or something of that nature. And then the, the claw was in the ring, and Okada grabbed it, and he was teasing that he might put it on. But then, like, uh, the commentary team was like, that literally has the essence of Iska in it. You don't want to go down that path. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's... <laughs> oh, my god. What, what if what if that's... Well, like, what if he'd put it on and then he became crazy, like... like wild man, like wild man For the rest of the year. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> but um, they, I, I, I just... I thought that... The, I thought there was a lot of cool stuff in here. I liked Taichi using... Uh, Miho Abe as a shield and, you know, trying to avoid the attacks from Okada, you know, him attacking the neck. And it's like he's doing here's, you know, he's doing really heelish stuff, but it was not boring. You know, some of those things that people complain about when it comes to like Jay White, you know, um, for those fans or heel people that don't like his healdom. Look no further than Tai Chi because I think Tai Chi's pretty entertaining. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that, again, I thought that this match was not his best match. I would put it probably on the same level as, like, the Tanahashi match he had at New Japan Cup a couple years ago. Maybe some of those uh, Naito matches. But, um, man, him and Okada had a lot of chemistry. Tai Chi had awesome strikes, awesome suplexes, great timing. He got heat. The match was very good. I, I would have gone like four and a quarter on it. Maybe I, I almost was four and a half actually. And I, I could probably, but I think the crowd had a lot to do with why it was so high. I might, mm. it might be more like four and a half or I'm sorry, four and a quarter. Another thing is you mentioned, because I didn't watch these back to back. I had a break between them and between that, the saber Osprey match. Right. And so that might be one reason that I'm a little bit higher in this match. Whereas you said that like you were kind of comparing it almost uh, to the the previous match, which might have brought it down for you a little bit. Right, yeah. Yeah, I watched this kind of straight on. And right after that Sabre Austin match, I was on such a high, and I just right. loved that Sabre Austin match so much. And then this match got it going, and I was like, mm, I'm just not feeling it. I don't know. One other thing that I loved was when Tai Chi started working the, uh, the stretch plum. Mm-hmm. There was a moment where he had Okada dead center in the middle of the ring, and it was like Okada... He'd already done it a couple times. This is like the third time, second or third time he applied it. And Okada wasn't going anywhere. And th- there's that moment where you're like, Okada's not going to tap. But we just saw a referee stoppage the match before. Mm-hmm. And so it creates that element of doubt in the next match that's like, it could happen again. Okada's neck is injured. He's not protecting himself. He's not moving. He's nowhere near the ropes. And Red Shoes did an incredible job being like, like almost acting like he's going to stop the match. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is so smart. <laughs> so, yeah, good stuff overall. I still think it's a great match. You know, we're a little bit like a quarter or a half off on star rating wise. But overall, thought it was a great stuff uh, for Tai Chi here in the main event. I'm glad they delivered. I mean, 
you know, and I'm going to throw some more praise on Tai Chi here in just a moment, but I mean, like, there's a lot of times where we they give him the opportunity. Sometimes he's inconsistent. Sometimes he really delivers, and sometimes he really shits the bed. And I was, like, worried that that might happen here, but it didn't. Uh, him and Okada had a great match, and I thought it was a very good main event. Now, let's jump into some questions here. Uh, first question from Reddit user Primetime Pope. What are they doing with Tai Chi? Does this mean Okada will get a double tile shot because Tai Chi is now the last barrier for tile shots? And what does this do for Tai Chi? Okada gains nothing from winning here because Tai Chi's last big match was a loss to Naito. Now, Tai Chi beat up Okada that one time, so they have a singles, and Tai Chi loses. Tai Chi continues to spin his wheels. Where does this get anyone except making Tai Chi look like a bumbling villain again? Um, I, I would disagree. Um, with almost that entire statement, I see the logic of what you're saying. So I'm, I'm not like, oh, you're an idiot. No, not far from it. Um, and I think in some wrestling companies, this would be very sound logic. But I think in New Japan, we've been trained to kind of look at things a little bit different than this. It's like, uh, Tai Chi is not on Okada's level. You know, Okada's again the ace, and Tai Chi's never had a. Uh, main event with or a singles match with Okada. So, I mean, just the fact that he's main eventing in his hometown against Okada does huge wonders for him. Um, does it, I don't think it means Okada's going to get a title shot because Tai Chi's the barrier. I mean, Tai Chi can't be the barrier. You, you just said so yourself that he lost in his previous feud to Naito. If he lost in his previous feud and then, Okada lost in his previous feud. You have a very logical crossroads match with two guys who are down because they're they've just previously lost their past uh, feuds. This is something the UFC does all the time. You know, you have a champion who lost. You have a challenger who fought recently. They both they maybe they have a common opponent. Like in this case, they both lost. Now to kind of build themselves back up in the rankings. Neither of them are on the cusp of winning or being number one contender, but whoever loses is going to go a little bit down. Whoever goes, whoever gets the win is going to go up. Um, do I think it does a wonders for Okada? Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't say wonders, but does it help him? Yeah. He won a big match on a big show against a tough challenger who he had a feud with. Um, you know, Taichi's not like just some geek anymore. You know, uh, if it was Taichi from a year ago, Maybe, but, um, you know, and then again, keep in mind, it's pro wrestling. Like Tai Chi looked really good in defeat. You know, it's not all just about W's and L's. It's also about the perception behind him. Uh, I don't know if anyone who saw that match could literally tell me that they don't think that new Japan has faith in Tai Chi. Right. And, you know, I wouldn't call him a bumbling villain. I mean, if, if Okada had put him away in like five or 10 minutes, then I would have said, all right, he's a bumbling villain. Like, this was, you know, this did nothing for him. But he went 30 minutes with Okada. Okada could not put this guy away. Like, Okada struggled to put this guy away. And that definitely elevated Tai Chi. New Japan is very good at making guys look great in defeat and elevating guys with losses, which you don't really see often, which I think that's why some fans get confused. Like, how can a guy be quote-unquote push, but also lose at the same time. Well, perfect situation's right here. You have a guy who's 
been slowly climbing their ranks, been, you know, in that never division, held that never title, and has been moving up the ranks because it had some solid tag matches with Sabre and slowly been moving up, having these main events with Naito, and now he's in here at the top uh, star in the company, hanging with him, going 30 minutes, having a good uh, main event match here. It does one for Tai Chi, it elevates his stock. I actually think that there's probably going to be people on the other side of the pendulum who have... Um, who are like more purists or like who are Okada fans who are going to be angry that Okada went life and death with Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. I see. I see that that being more of a problem for some fans who will look at this and be like, "What the hell are they doing, making him struggle so hard with Tai Chi after you know carrying the company the past couple years?" You know, um, but it really just depends on on your perspective. You know, I think that. Everything that you said would have been true in an, in other companies where guys don't get elevated, they they stay stagnant, nothing ever changes. But that's not really how it is in New Japan. Now it doesn't change overnight. That's true. Uh, it is always the long play, and you have to have a lot of patience because uh, you know it. They don't do very often what WWE just did with like Drew McIntyre. You're not going to see a guy go from no push to suddenly winning the G1 overnight, and then now they're the sensation, and now they're headlining. That almost never happens. It takes years of constant story storyline progression, but we're seeing that with Taichi and him main eventing and having a great match and uh, looking strong in a losing effort does a lot for him. And I could see him and Okada having more matches down the line. Yeah, so I was about to say I could see them in a New Japan Cup or G one where Taichi gets the win and pulls an upset and either knocks him out of New Japan Cup or gets that win over him in G one. That's possible. I'm not gonna say it's impossible. I don't think it's likely, but it's it's definitely a possibility. But um, they told a great story, and now that now there's a built-in feud there, and people have complained for a long time about Okada wrestling the same guys over and over again. Now we get a new challenger, we get a new a new guy, and I think it's smart business all around. Like I don't I don't see any negatives here whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, next question here from Reddit user: Why did you do that, bro? He says, is Taichi the most overheal on the roster? I feel like he is, but Hokkaido is his hometown. Hmm. Well, he might be the most over. Well, if we're going to say who's like over like popularity, uh, and I'm just judging from crowd response, I would probably say Minoru Suzuki. Right. Like he gets the, at this point, he's like got that respected, you know, legend status sort of thing going for him. Right, but I guess if you're, I don't know if he meant like who, I don't know. Because he's, he's definitely a heel. Right, he's a heel, and he's over. But he's if a mega ta- heel. If you're talking about somebody who's like drawing heat, like getting the, the reactions they're supposed to be getting. I don't uh, know if Tai Chi is always drawing heat. I mean, there was a time where I would say that's all he did, but he's gotten popular, and he does play to the crowd. He was, right. play, he was playing to the crowd during these shows for sure. Um. I don't know who the most overheal on the roster is. I mean, you, uh, it might be him. I, I don't know. I think it, it, probably either Kenta or Jay White right now. Definitely Kenta coming off what happened at the Dome and New Year's Dash. And if you're talking about as far as, like, not being over but being, like, hated. Uh, yeah. Then, yeah. But I, I, I guess it's kind of hard because when you're saying, like, normally when you say over, you're thinking popular. Right. But I'm thinking heel. If you're, When you're over as a heel, a lot of times that could mean, like, you're you're over because you're doing a good job and you're getting the heat and people hate you. 
as a heel. No, that's why I said Suzuki because I I thought he literally meant popularity. Right, and, like, and I'm not sure which what he meant here. Right. Um, but yeah, if you're talking just popular, I would say Suzuki. But if you're talking about like somebody who's actually like drawing heat right now, well, Taichi Taichi definitely isn't the most hated. Right. Um, he's in between. He does get heat, but he also has an undercurrent of fans both abroad and you know domestically that really support him now. Uh, whether that's a good or a bad thing because he is a heel, I don't know. But, um, you know, if you're talking about strictly hated, I mean, Bull Club's the most hated right now. Right. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Whether that's a shoot or a work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Next question here from front of the show, Kevin Crawford. He says, is Tai Chi capable of a five-star match? And was this the main event with Okada his best effort to date? I think he is capable of a five-star match. Uh, we haven't seen it yet, but he's had some really great matches before. And given the opportunity, I really do think he could have one for sure. Um, I, I think I've seen that in him personally. I mean, you look at the level of – you look okay, how many dance partners has he had great matches with now at this point? Ishii. Um, Naito. Naito. Um, Okada. Tanahashi. Um, Will Osprey, Goto, Michael Elgin—that's like seven dudes right there off the top of my head—and he's had multiple great matches with some of them. So it's hard to kind of deny that he's not at the level. You know what I mean? Um, now I don't—he's never had one yet, so I'm not like copping from like that. But at some point, we have to sit back and say this guy's a lot better than he's gotten credit for, based on his past uh, reputation. Um, do I think it's his best effort to date? Like I said earlier, I don't think it's his best match he's ever had, but I think it's the most complete performance I've ever seen from him. I think it's the best wrestled match I've seen of him, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, as far as he's uh, capable of five-star match, I mean, I'm ne- you never say never. Um, I just don't know when we'll see it with, when we'll see it and who it will be against. I mean, he's already wrestled a lot of the top guys and have has not gotten that five-stars. Um, I mean, it's definitely possible, the right story, the right guy, the right main event. So I'm not going to give a hard out no, but... Uh, a lot of those weren't main events, though. Right. And a lot of them were times where he wasn't being presented as a serious or credible guy. It That's only been like a, a recent occurrence in the last like seven months, maybe. Yeah. I think that if you give him enough time, give him uh, a good situation, like, yeah, I, I think it could... Yeah, and much like you, I agree. I think you know the tight the the Ishii matches that Taichi had were better in ring wise, but this was a, a kind of a more of a better storytelling match here and a, a way to kind of you know elevate Taichi. Awesome. Well, that looks like that's gonna do it for our new beginning in Sapporo uh, review. Uh, we're gonna go through the new beginning in Osaka predictions very quickly here. Yep, so opening things up, new beginning of Osaka of eight-man tag action. We have Risuke Aguche, Tohanare, Togu Makabe, and Tomioka Hanma taking on Tenkoji, Tenzan Kojima, Manabu Nakanishi, and Yuji Nagata. So the final night of the New Japan Dads uh, teaming together in Osaka, Joe Hall taking on Taguchi, Hanare, Makabe, and Hama. Um, I... I'm going to go with the Nostalgia Act and say the uh, New Japan Dads win here. 
that that's a definitely possibility here. Um, I mean, I see Toa Hanari over there. Yeah, I, I'm thinking Nakanishi is going to do the favors here. I think I'm going to call Toa Hanari pinning Nakanishi. No skin off my back. <laughs> this is pretty inconsequential either way. <laughs> right. Uh, the next up, we have IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Title Match with Pungi 3K, Sho and Yo defending against the Suzuki Goon team of El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanamaru. Let me change my mind. I'm going to. Uh, Hanari is probably going to beat him. <laughs> that probably is what's going to happen. So I, I will agree with you. Uh, as far as this tag team uh, title match goes, I'm going to predict. Rapongi 3K retaining their belts. I'm going to predict and pray that Rapongi 3K retain their belts and it's not another quick uh, title run for them and we don't see this ongoing rivalry with them and Sukagun. I hope they, you know, beat these guys definitively and can move on to a different rivalry. The only thing that gives me pause is the same issue we've always had. Once Rapongi 3K beats Suzuki Goon in the junior division, who's left? I guess you go back to Phantasmo and Taiji. I guess, yeah, that's, you know what? That's probably what they're going to do. And since they're heating them up in their heels, that actually adds more credibility to our prediction. So I'm, I feel more, thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> I, feel, I feel more confident. So we're going to see Rapungi 3K finally defend their belts successfully. <laughs> and uh, they're going to retain. Next up, eight-man tag action. The former IWGP tag champions, Finjuice, teaming up with Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi to take on the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens, Tamatonga Tangaloa, and Yujiro Takahashi. And as of this recording, it sounds like Ibushi will be making it for this show. So we had a lot of questions going through the New Beginning in USA tour because, you know, they had one night where it was going to be Tanahashi and Ibushi um, defeating, or well, taking on G.O.D., but then, like, a couple nights later, G.O.D. was going to be wrestling Finjuice. And we're like, well, they're probably going to lose to Tanahashi and Ibushi. But then how does that make them credible challengers? So this doesn't really make sense. Um, unfortunately, because Kota Ibushi didn't make that uh, tour, we never got that match. And ultimately, G.O.D. did end up uh, defeating Finjuice for their titles. Uh, this kind of throws everything in flux because during the... Um, New Year's Dash, Tanahashi and Ibushi had kind of laid out a challenge for Finjuice for those titles. Now it's kind of like, well, G.O.D. holds them. Are they, like, going to face Finjuice again? Are they going to defend against Tanahashi and Ibushi? Like, what's going on here? I don't really know. I mean, uh, but uh, whatever way they go, this eight-man tag is kind of going to play into it, evidently. Yeah, and I feel like if they had went, if that match had happened with Tanahashi and Ibushi versus G.O.D., they would have won, and then you could still had G.O.D. beat Finjuice, then Tanahashi and Ibushi like, all right, we, we beat G.O.D. the night before, where's our title shot? It and just it, seems weird to have done them throwing out a challenge against Finjuice earlier if they weren't going to deliver on that match, and maybe they still will. I don't know long term, but th- this all seems kind of weird to me, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with Tanahashi or Ibushi pinning um, one of the uh, G.O.D. boys and solidifying that they want a tag title shot. I'm going to go with that same team, but I also think it's going to be like Finley, like hitting Yujiro with the cutter probably. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> that could definitely happen. Or, or Chase too could get pinned as well. Um, after that, we have a tag team match, uh, tag team of chaos, which will be 
Okada and Will Ospreay taking on the team of Dangerous Techers, Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr. Yeah, this match should be great. We've kind of seen these guys rivaling over the New Beginning Tour. We saw that post-match beatdown where uh, Dangerous Techers laid out Okada and Ospreay. Um, you know, Okada, and Ospre- Okada beat Taichi and Osprey lost to Saber. So there's still kind of some heat there with, you know, both guys on each team. So it should be a really fun match. Um, I'm going to go with Dangerous Techers. I was going to agree with you. I, uh, the only re- I don't really know. I think logically it makes sense to go with Chaos, but I'm picking a lot of good guy teams here, and I, I think they're going to switch it up. So uh, I'll go with Dangerous Techers. They're, they're the more established tag team anyways. Yeah. So. The next I, so- and I don't know. I mean, I don't know where you go from there. Uh, I don't know if that this is just the blow off between these kind of guys, or maybe Zack Saber gets a roll up on Will Osprey and kind of adds more to the frustration. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the uh, the story direction is coming out of that. Next up, special singles match: Sonata taking on Switchblade Jay White. And we did have a question here from. Reddit user Dom Homie one on one. What are the chances of Sonata pulling the upset on Jay White? Is it an upset? Um, it, it can be in a way. I mean, Jay White's former IWGP champion, IC champ, US champ. He's definitely had a lot of you know accomplishments and accolades that Sonata hasn't. Um, so Jay has definitely been slotted higher than Sonata. I don't know if it'd be so much of an upset than more of an elevation, maybe. Um, they've got big plans in place for Sonata, but I don't think New Beginning Tour is going to be the start of that. I think, uh, logically, in a vacuum, it makes sense that Jay White just picks up the win here. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling Sonata here. I'm going to go with Sonata getting the win. Possible. Yep. Then next up, we have Ida B. But if Sonata beats him. You can guarantee your ass Jay White's picking up. He's going to get that win back later in the year somewhere. Definitely, yeah. Next up, IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match. Hiromu Takahashi defends against Ryu Lee. I would be shocked if Hiromu loses here. Same here. Going uh, Hiromu. And then after that, we have the United States Heavyweight title match. John Moxley uh, defending against the King Minoru Suzuki. And I think I know which way you're going with this one. Yeah, and going with the uh, Death Rider here, John Moxley, it seems like they really want to keep that U.S. title on him and kind of make him the face, quote-unquote, of their U.S. division, even though he can't defend it in the U.S. It would make a lot of sense to put it on Minoru Suzuki, especially since he's going to be in the U.S. during WrestleMania weekend, could defend it on Lions Break Project, and he's going to be featured on Bloodsport and Joey Janelle's Spring Break. But I feel like, for whatever reason... New Japan's thinking is they think fans see United States, they see Moxley, it goes together. So I think they're going to keep it on Moxley here. Um, that all does make sense. I also think that having the title Minoru Suzuki would make sense for many of the same reasons you just mentioned. The fact that Suzuki can defend the title in America. The fact that Minoru Suzuki is a big star in America and has that kind of cachet. So... Um, you know, that's definitely, and if there was a guy that you were going to use to eventually beat John Moxley for this particular belt specifically, there's probably not a better guy to do it with than Minoru Suzuki, you know, unless you're going to, I mean, because it's probably going to be a really big star that beats John Moxley, and it needs to be someone who's a big enough star who can carry this belt, but not too big to where it wouldn't make sense. You know, Okada's not probably going to carry the U.S. title, you know what I mean? Right. 
So I think it makes sense for Minoru Suzuki. That being said, how far out are we from AEW's pay per view? Uh, it's the end. It's February 29th. So, um, so there's I, still time. Yeah. I, that's my one real big concern is the, the, um, you know, the, uh, politics of it all. I'm not saying that there are, there's necessarily pool. It's not like Tony Khan is like calling up Gato and saying this, ha- this can or can't happen. But you know, if you're John Moxley and you know where your bread is buttered, you know, you might want to protect your situation and, there are certain things you may or may not agree to. Plus, keep in mind, Minoru Suzuki just pinned him clean in a tag match. That might not necessarily mean that Suzuki's going to beat him clean again. For those reasons, I'm going with John Moxley because I think that it's too close to the pay-per-view for him to really drop the, the title. I think once he... Because I don't know what's going on. He's wrestling Jericho, right? Yeah, he's challenging for the AW World title. Maybe once he loses to Jericho, it'll make sense for him to drop that title. The U.S. title is not that important. I don't see that they have big plans for it in the future. So, you know, I think it would make a lot of sense to have Suzuki win it. Maybe Suzuki will win it down the line. But for right now, I'm going to go with Moxley. Although, up until like literally today, I've been saying Suzuki. And I won't be surprised if he does win it. And that brings us to our main event, double championship match for the IWGP heavyweight title and IWGP intercontinental title. The double champion, Tetsuya Naito, defends against Kenta. Naito? <laughs> yeah, I, I would think Naito wins here. I'd, you know he's never won in Osaka Joe Hall's main event? Oh, yeah. Ever? Man, he's got to break that curse here. Uh, but I would be highly surprised if Kenta wins here. Here's the thing. We are predicting on this night that every champion retains. We are. That doesn't always happen. Although, you know, th- there was that one Dominion where every single champion, or like uh, last uh, Wrestle Kingdom, every single championship uh, changed hands. Changed yeah. Hands. So, um, yeah, I, I think hopefully, I really want this match to deliver for both guys' sake and for our sake, uh, you know, if they were going to um, run that crazy of an angle at the end of uh, Wrestle Kingdom and kind of have Kenta forever steal that moment from Naito, because, I mean, that's what he did. He stole that moment forever. We can never get that golden roll call back. This match has to deliver. But if this match, and and they got a lot of pressure on them. There are certain times where I'm like, it's okay to just have a good main event, you know? Um but there's a reason that this is an Osaka Joe Hall. There's a reason. These guys can't go out there and have a mid-main event. It has to be a great main event for both of their sake. Uh, it just has to be. And I am predicting Naito to retain. But how crazy would it be if Kenta beat Naito? That would be wild. There was a big part of me initially that thought that Naito just winning at the dome, winning the double gold was sufficient. But I also assumed he would get that crowning moment at the end. He didn't get the crowning moment. So now it kind of feels a little hollow. I don't know. That'd be so crazy. See, Kenta. Oh my God. Yeah. With both those titles. LIJ fans would lose their damn minds. Um, Yeah. I think Naito, yeah, he has to retain here and I, I'm hoping it's going to be a good match. I mean, they're following Mox Suzuki and, uh, Hiromu Ryu Lee. So they, they're going to have, you know, some tough work cut out for them here. 
We pretty much. I mean, I think we have all the exact same uh, predictions here. Yeah. So. Um, and then real quick, just a small update. New Beginning in USA, we've mentioned it several times now. So in that Atlanta show, New Beginning in Atlanta, we had the team of Gorillas of Destiny due to Jado's help defeating Finn Juice to become the new IWGP Tag Team Champions. And we had a, a lot of questions about this. Uh, first from Reddit user Just a Little Bear Zero One. How badly did they just shoot the tag division in the foot by having Finn Juice lose the title after zero defenses? Yeah, it seems pretty shitty, right? Yeah, especially on a non-televised show or a show that's going to be you know shown several days later a video on demand. Well, there is that fact where they people complained about the new beginning in USA tours, and you know, I think almost everyone just thought they're like, oh, they're giving us a, a you know a title rematch, but nothing's going to happen, obviously. So they kind of thought it sucked, and then. And then they switched the titles. Right. So, I mean, there's there's that side of things where it's like, okay, cool. They gave us a title change in America, which is actually kind of a big deal. But at the same time, long-term booking, we kind of thought Finju's winning the belts would be, like, a good thing for the division. Maybe it will be because maybe they'll be able to chase after him again and regain him. Um, we've seen that with plenty of, you know, babyface tag teams in New Japan. But uh, I, I won't say they shot the division in the foot, I would say this. The division had no foot <laughs> to shoot. <laughs> yeah. And you can't shoot the division <laughs> in the foot if you don't got one. It didn't have anything to stand on to begin with. Um, but, you know, we kind of thought with Finn Juice they might start to get their footing, and now they, they kind of don't. So it's like, who knows what's going on with that. It, it's the tag team division that we never – the booking's just not good with it. Right. It out, of, out of all the titles, they're like, we need to change something on the U.S. Screw it. Why not tag titles? Like, we can flop it back and forth any way we want. So, you yeah. know, I don't know if you know this. Did you notice um, on that last night in Atlanta, Jeff Cobb beat um, Lance Archer? He did. So, a lot of rumors, you know, that's Archer's last match. He's on the way out. And, you know, Cobb's going to be doing more dates with New Japan. So, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And we kind of thought that they were heating up Archer for, like, a big <laughs> big uh, title challenge. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next question here from Reddit user Rambone Slam Pig. He said, what did Juice do to Gato? Did he run over his dog or something? We will never know. Yeah, I just, it's, again, it's a tag title division, but I don't know what's been going on with Juice. You know, he was in that U.S. division. Ever since the um, that fit, that match with Mox fell through with the tsunami, things have been really in flux for Juice. Yeah, but I mean, he still seems to be having like happy with the company. I mean, we saw him briefly after uh, New Beginning in Tampa. He seemed to be, he seemed to be in a good mood and was happy with the show and happy where I don't know where he's at. So I don't know. I don't know what the situation is with Juice. We don't know. Uh, next question from a Twitter follower at Brave Dirty Hawk. And also shout out to Brave Dirty Hawk. Hit me up in the DMs. Gave me a little kind of review on how things went at the new beginning in Atlanta. Um, he says, with uh, two short post-Wrestle Kingdom title runs, who do you guys believe need to keep their titles the most, Finjuice or Goto? And do you accept more of the same, expect more of the same in the new beginning in Osaka? Who who needed to keep their title more? Yeah, Finjuice fin or Goto. I think Finjuice did. Yeah, I mean they came off that big World Tag League victory, had this big victory over God in the Dome, 
it would have been great for them to at least get one defense on a big show, um, kind of really, you know, do something different with that tag division, but it wasn't the case here. I mean, the Never title always changes hands. Goto, this was his fifth time holding it. It was not a big deal for Goto to lose a belt again. I'm not sure what he means by do we expect more of the same. I'm guessing if he, he might be asking do we expect more title changes. Yeah. And I think based on what we said earlier, no. I, I don't think any of the titles are changing. Although, if any of them do change, the one that I think is... If I, would, if I were to rank them, I would go in this ranking. Number one, the junior tag titles. Number two, the U.S. title. Number three, the double title. And number four, the junior title. I feel the most confident the junior title is not switching. Yeah, I'm about the same with you right there. So... And then last question here about uh, New Beginning in USA comes from a friend of the show, Dan Coffin. He says, do you feel the New Beginning America shows were a collective success, failure, or somewhere in between? Um, I don't have a clear answer on that, to be honest with you, because we do know that the they didn't draw the way that they maybe had hoped that they would, or at least that's kind of what I... Uh, heard on the latest uh, Wrestling Observer. Whether that means were they lucrative? Like, did they actually profit? I don't know. Um, I know, generally speaking, the fans that were in attendance had nothing but positive things to say about all the different shows. So that's a good thing. Um, That's a positive. But will it lead to better turnout in the future, more subscriptions, more uh, people buying merch, more people you know, p- paying attention to the product and attending these shows or getting their friends you know, to be made aware of it. Like, I really don't know if it's going to make a dent at all in their brand you know, here in the States. Um, so it's really hard for me to say whether it's been a success or a failure because I don't know the financials on it. Um, ultimately, it's what I think I've always said I think it's fine that they run these shows if it's something that's a bad business decision for them because of like it spreads the talented thin that's not good if it's costing them too much that's not good but ultimately it is an antiquated system they need TV period yeah and I would like to see some of the final attendance numbers and merch number and gate numbers to kind of really Truly analyze whether this was a success, failure, somewhere in between. But just based on what we've been hearing, I'm kind of leaning in between. I mean, you've had, you know, this tour from an in-ring standpoint, great shows. Everybody's been happy with the shows like you mentioned. I saw a ton of people buying merch. I know I bought a lot of merch in Tampa. Um, So I think from that standpoint, it was good. But as far as, you know, lack of availability of watching these shows on uh on new japan world and would that have mattered i think it would have made them feel a little more important to the viewing audience i think the reality is that they weren't important if you i mean they were good shows for the local audience right really good house shows but they they they're not important for the overall storyline they're inconsequential right Except for that Atlanta show, so it's kind of like, why put them up live? Like that would be, I mean, sure it'd be convenient, but I don't know that anyone's gearing up their New Japan World to watch that stuff live. Except for right, like, I'm not saying put up live, but at least have it. Like none of these, sh- like, some of the Miami show I think is up now, but nothing else is. Or I mean, yeah, but even if it went up, like let's say on a two day delay, does anybody really care? 
Yeah. I know we I know we care. Yeah. Like you and me. But I mean, does anybody want to see that Mysterioso versus, you know, Alex Coughlin match or whatever they end up doing? Like, no, like it doesn't matter. Um these were just pretty much New Japan presentations for local audiences. They just might happen to go up on New Japan World, which is is fine. How many shows do they do? Seven? Six? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think it was like six, five or six, something like that. Let's say they did really well, which we know that they didn't necessarily do these numbers. Let's say they did like, let's say cumulatively they did six or 7,000, right? That'd be like really high. Is that even that successful? I mean, how much money are they making on that? You know what I mean? Yeah. I I I feel very confident, and, and we'll, we'll talk about it here in, in the news, I'm sure. But um, they need TV. Yeah. They need TV. They need TV. All right. So we got a few more kind of off-topic questions here, and then we'll uh, wrap up quickly with the news. So first, from Reddit user Grunty Dodds, he says NJPW gave Lance Archer a big push, but kept him on a tour-to-tour contract. Now he may be leaving for AEW. However, Chase Owens is a lower-card utility tag guy who just signed a multi-year deal. My question is this. What the fuck? (laughs) And uh, Grunty Dodds, I think a lot of people agree with you because uh, that was one of the most upvoted uh, questions that we got. Um, I think it really comes down to this. We don't know what the negotiations were when it came to Archer and Chase Owens. Owens didn't get re-signed until the last minute. Um, I don't know if maybe they're trying to do the same thing with Archer. I don't know what if there was or has been or will be an offer made to Archer and whether that was accepted or turned down. You know, we don't really know. Right. And kind of an update was going to cover us in the news, but Chase Owens said on Twitter that his contract was up January 31st. And somebody's like, oh, I thought you signed a multi-year deal. He said, no, I only signed a one-year deal. So he said his last day with New Japan, his New Japan contract, quote unquote, was January 31st. I mean, he is scheduled to be on New Beginning in Osaka and that multi-man, but I don't know what that means for him going forward after that date. Well, he just resigned. He signed a new contract after the 31st? Yeah. Okay. Oh, did you? Yeah. So he did confirm online that. It was his last day. Gotcha. And then, like, the next day, he's like, I can confirm that I have signed a new contract. Okay, I, I missed that follow-up there. That's why, that's why uh, Grunty Dodds is saying, like, you know, they, they just signed him to a multi-year deal. Gotcha. So it's a new new contract's multi-year. Gotcha. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> oh, man, I never know something that you don't know about the news. <laughs> I feel I feel so, so great. Um, I, I just think it really comes down to that. It's like... Who knows? Maybe they do like Chase Owens more than Archer. Or maybe we just don't know what what has or hasn't been offered. Maybe Archer doesn't want to be there. Maybe ultimately he always wanted to go make money on TV here in the States with a big company. I, I, I really can't answer that question, you know. I, and I don't think it's safe to assume anything about it without knowing all the details for anybody, really. Right. Uh, next question from Reddit user Viking Pain says, "What are your guys' thoughts on Viceland possibly picking up New Japan's American TV rights?" Um, so, it's going to cover us in the news, but we'll talk about it now. So, there um, has been you know open lines of communications between uh, New Japan and Viceland for US TV. Uh, it's going to be a long process because TV Asai owns the footage rights, um, and that Access New Japan deal was originally done between Access and TV Asai. So, 
we're going to need TV aside to kind of step in here and if they want this Viceland deal to get down. They should do it. I want it. We need it. Yeah, I think Viceland would be a great channel. We've seen them kind of do some other wrestling-related uh, projects. Uh, I think that would, pr- would be a good home for New Japan, and they definitely need to get some kind of American TV so they can kind of run some of those like Long Beach-type like TV specials and other uh, other U.S. stuff to advertise these New Beginning in USA type of shows that they're going to be doing going forward. Yeah, I mean, I haven't... Um, do we have cable? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't even know what we... Uh, it's been a long time since, like, I watched TV. You know what I mean? Right. So I don't know what's really on Viceland. I think I remember there being, like, some weird, like, kind of comedy shows that I liked. I think uh, Mark Marin had a show on there or something like that. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like an offbeat TV station in general. I do know that, yeah, they had the Dark Side of the Ring and um, what what was the other show, the wrestling show they had? The Wrestlers? Yeah, something like that, yeah. So, I mean, I don't really know too much about Viceland. Um, they've only been around since, like, 2016. I'm actually looking them up on Wikipedia right now. But, um, okay, so it's, like, reality TV series, documentaries, everything's, like, uh, oriented towards millennials. So, yeah, I mean, that might be a, a good place for them to land up. I don't know what the reach is as far as, like... Households and ratings and stuff like that. Yeah, that I wouldn't be able to tell you. I've got no idea. Oh, apparently Spike Jones owns this. Mm. Well, some TV is better than no TV, so... That's true. Yeah. And then uh, last part of Viking Payne's question, he says, Lastly, when are we going to get the dream match everybody wants to see? Damon and Joel of the Super J cast versus Jeremy and the young boy of keeping it strong style in a tornado tag steel cage death match. Why well, got to be a death match? I don't <laughs> want anyone to die. <laughs> uh, you know, steel cage matches are my favorite gimmick. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think. What, what, what is he asking? Are we all going to fight each other? Like, I, I don't know. I guess he's trying to, you know, book, book the town, book a promotion, you know. I don't know if everybody even wants that. Like, he's like, when are we going to get the match everybody wants? I don't don't know. All I'm going to say, if that match happened. A match? We're we're shooters. Oh, yeah. I'm going to stretch the shit out of them. (laughs) So, you know, it wouldn't be, you know, quite fair on them. Joel, give me your arm. (laughs) (laughs) Stretch, yeah. Um, yeah, no, actually, I was talking to Damon just the other day. That thing that we may that we haven't announced that we may or may not be doing WrestleMania weekend, he might be interested in d- attending that thing and maybe doing something with us. So ah, okay. But that this that might be more like a six man tag sort of c- scenario as opposed to like Make, a, making him an honorary <laughs> third man of uh, <laughs> keeping a strong style, <laughs> something like that. We'll see how that goes. That uh, that's only if he's gonna even. Be in town and who knows he might flag like that time when they told me we were all going to fuzzies and then I got uh, Stranded at that bar <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how I made it home that night in New York. Oh man, yeah, that was one of the worst nights of my life <laughs> Oh man, so yeah stay tuned for stuff happening uh, mania weekend uh, Speaking of mania weekend next question comes from Dom homie one-on-one thoughts on the dream match of Suzuki versus Orange Cassidy Oh before we Move on. I do want to say this. Um, as far as 
questions about steel ta- uh, steel tornado tag steel cage death match. I will say this: we are coming for those guys because we just got. I, I won't throw out the numbers, but uh, we just got like recognized as like trending on the charts. Yeah, for like the first time, it means our numbers are like way up. I think ever since actually, we- yeah, I mean, uh, January was our uh, record month here for the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We kind of shattered our previous records over at, at Podbean. Um, so thank yep. you guys for downloading and yeah. Why the fuck didn't we leave Podbean a long time? Ago? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, things- I feel like Lance Archer after he's been in AEW for like a month. <laughs> <laughs> that that red circle hit different. Yeah, right. <laughs> so um. Yeah, as if, if that's what we want to talk about the ratings, then uh, you know, just call us AEW <laughs> on Wednesday nights. The streak rolls on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure our numbers are not on our side of that. Yeah, no, never mind that. We'll get there. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so thoughts on the dream match, Suzuki and Orange Cassidy? Um, I don't, I don't really like Orange Cassidy like at all, like not even a little bit. I kind of fucking hate his entire gimmick <laughs> and um i'm sorry i get it that so many people like him but i think he sucks uh he and i'm sure he doesn't suck i i know whenever i said people were like but you understand he actually can wrestle really good i'm like cool but i'm not entertained by it like at all and i think it i literally like think it, it makes a mockery of wrestling but i will say this um Suzuki's one of the greatest comedy wrestlers of all time. Uh, for further proof, just watch him versus Mecha Mummy <laughs> or his work in DDT. So this is probably going to be really funny. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be hilarious. And it's, it's Joey Janelle's spring break. I, I love spring break. It, it's it's going to be a wild and wacky night, and this totally fits the theme of those shows. And so, yes, it's not going to be your, you know, four-and-a-half-star Suzuki WrestleMania weekend and match but it's it's going to be very fun. It's going to be super ironic, and I, I think it's going to you know leave the fans happy. I did see a funny uh, fan art somebody did of the Royal Rumble, and it was like when Brock meets Orange Cassidy, and it was like Brock Lesnar taking him to Suplex City, and while he's like getting Suplex, he's got one hand in his pocket and. The other hand, is like, <laughs> he's, doing a, he's doing a thumbs up. He's like, he's like completely relaxed <laughs> while he's in there. Oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Um, uh, he also asked us, "What are your guys' early New Japan Cup predictions?" I'm going with Sonata, dude. I'm gonna do something completely out of left field. Great old Karn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> Thoughts on, <laughs> I, I'm just I'm going with uh, Sonata just based off you know history. Like this man gets closer and closer. He's got to win one eventually, right? Right. Um, thoughts on Jericho trying to get Osprey some AEW dates? Yeah. So this was kind of mentioned in the, in the Observer that uh, yeah Jericho was trying to work some U.S. dates with Osprey, but Osprey wanted to stay a little to New Japan, turned it down. Um, I mean, I, I can definitely see why Jericho would do that. Osprey's top wrestler in the world, phenomenal worker. It would be a great matchup. It would draw. Um, it'd be a great payday for Osprey. Um, so I definitely understand why he would want to do it. But um, you know, Osprey wants to just focus on New Japan right now. So yeah, and uh, kudos to uh, to um, Will Osprey because that's not the door we're trying to open. We're trying to open the door this way. Not the door that way. <laughs> All right. <laughs> suddenly, suddenly everyone's going to be working for AEW. <laughs> but um, 
And then uh, final part of his question, he said, uh, is it me or does it feel like this is the uh, the only beginning for the uh, these feuds, Evil Ishii, Shingo Goto, Osprey Saber, Okada Taichi? Um, I'll say this. I don't know if these feuds are all going to c- continue necessarily. But oftentimes, to me, it's always felt like New Beginning doesn't necessarily... To me, it usually isn't the actual beginning beginning of any sort of feud. It's usually like the blow-off to these mini feuds that started after Wrestle Kingdom, and mm-hmm. then everything sort of just stops there. Very, It's very rare, because we go automatically into New Japan Cup. There's not really a lot of room for like feuds to kind of progress afterwards, you know? Right. This year does feel different. It feels like we have sort of just started to plant the seeds for things like Okada Taichi, Osprey Saber, uh, Shingo Goto we've seen before, but like um, with like Evil Ishii and some of these other feuds too, even things like, you know, um, El Phantasmo and uh, what's his, uh, the the young lion he wrestled, what's his name? Gabriel Kidd. Gabriel Kidd, stuff like that. There just was a lot of things happening that don't feel like they're definitive. They feel like we're going to see them. I know in New Japan, they don't typically do the thing that WWE does where it's like you have a three-match series over three pay-per-views three months in a row. Like, they don't really do that. But you will get feuds that will maybe over six or seven-month period, you might get two or three matches. That happens pretty regularly and um, and even over the course of years. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of this stuff does continue on in some form or fashion going forward. It feels like it will anyways. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see any of these kind of feuds pick back up. Maybe we see some New Japan Cup action with some of these feuds. Some of these guys could be in the same G1 block. We'll definitely... I I even think, like, Moxley Suzuki feels that way. I think Naito Kenta feels that way, too. And I wouldn't be... I'm I'm sure Sonata and Jay White are going to wrestle again down the line. So this does... It all feels like these are all fresh matchups that you can do again later on down the line. It does feel like it's the new beginning for a, a new phase. I think that everything was really leading up to Naito's win, and now that Naito's win, that story arc's over. We're, we are moving into, like, a new phase of the company. Right. Uh, next question here from Sir Sam. He says, Robbie Eagles is challenging for a belt this week, and he would be the first Aussie to hold a New Japan strap, the glorious never three-man. Are there any other major markets that haven't had a champion do you think that they will make anything of this achievement? Uh, <laughs> I don't know of any major markets that haven't. I know Canadians have held the titles. Right. We have, we've had Kenny Omega, Elgin. Um, obviously, we've had Americans. Owen, uh, like Owen Hart, um, Chris Benoit, guys like that. There have been Mexicans, you know. You think about, like, Eddie Guerrero. You think about, uh, like... Really? Um, what was, what's his name in in WWE? He just failed the wellness. Oh, um, Andrade. Yeah. What was Andrade's name before? Uh, La Sombra. Yeah, La Sombra. Guys like that. Uh, obvi- uh, even um, I'm trying to think of his name. Mystico, Dragon Lee, so all sorts of guys. Um, Europeans, British guys. Saber Osprey. Saber Osprey. All sorts of. Different Valor. Ones. Um, I'm trying to think. We've had. Uh, I mean, those are obviously New Zealanders. Those are like the major markets, right? People from the United States. 
Uh, we've had Russians who've held the IWGP title before. Um, black guys, white guys. Um, I feel like Australia is one of the only major markets that I can think of that has never held a title of that. Even that stat seems kind of surprising to me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that they're they're going to make a huge, uh, you know, accomplishment out of this never six man titles if if they do win it. I wonder uh, if there's ever been a China. I mean, wrestling's not big in China. I wonder if and it seems like it's starting to be. I wonder if they ever bring in a Chinese wrestler. Right. That's why I don't really consider that like a major market, just because like yeah, there's not much wrestling there. But yeah, if I mean, if you're st- strictly going by like your classic wrestling markets, then no. I don't think they've. I wonder if they've ever had an Indian champion. Mm. I know Tiger G Singh was the NWF champion. Uh, is Tiger G Singh Indian? Uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, but yeah, I don't think they the never six man titles. It's like it's the never six man titles. I think it'll be a huge accomplishment once Eagles, you know, wins like the junior title for the first time. Yeah, he's Indian, but he. In Canada, um, Andre never held any titles. I was gonna say he's French. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, interesting question there. Uh, and then last question here from uh, Brian Lee from the Wrestling Squared Circle. He says, "Can we all say that Ingo Bernablets are taking over the wrestling world instead of Bullet Club?" Um, no, <laughs> because the Bullet Club got their own company. <laughs> <laughs> Bull Club literally like have the second largest company in the world, bigger than New Japan now. Well, I guess if you're counting those guys still as Bullet Club, then yes. I mean, they're not, but I mean, like to me, it's like if you're making the Ingobernable like argument, then you to me you would have to include like Andrade, Roosh, Naito. You know, like the right. But then, like, if you do that for, like, Bullet Club, it's, like, Adam Cole, AJ Styles. <laughs> Balor. Balor. <laughs> um, Bucks, Kenny. The Bucks, Kenny. Jay White, all the stuff, yeah. It's, like, yeah. And the truth is, based on the TV deal that AEW just got, it makes them a more profitable and larger and visible company than New Japan is already. They are now the second biggest company they sh- they have a larger share of the marketplace, yeah, which is crazy. It is crazy, just so Happened much so quick. Yeah, it did. Um, all right, so now we just have a few uh, last news items here. So we know we have the Lions Break Project Three coming up in Tampa. Along with that, there's going to be some special New Japan Pro Wrestling booths at the WrestleCon convention. There's also going to be a Tanahashi meet and greet. So if you fail to meet Tanahashi. During the new beginning in USA, you can meet Tanahashi at WrestleCon here in April in Tampa. I've never paid for a meet and greet in my life, but when that bonus money hits, I might <laughs> I might need to <laughs> I might need to go to that one. Uh Marty Skrull, uh he challenged Jay White during the new beginning in USA, and Jay White has accepted the challenge, so it's official. Marty Skrull versus Jay White for Super Card of Honor. Recently announced for that show also are appearances by Kenta and the current NWA World Heavyweight Champion Nick Aldis. If Nick Aldis has an uh, important title defense on that show, I might go. <laughs> <laughs> he might. 
Um, let's see, we talked about the Viceland deal. We talked about Jericho and Osprey, and we talked about Chase Owens. And last few things here, let's see, we talked about Suzuki Orange Cassidy. Um, there's a couple of Ring of Honor news not items here uh, surrounding uh, Ryu Lee. So Ryu Lee will be challenging PCO for the Ring of Honor World Championship at Bound by Honor on February 28th. And then at the 18th anniversary pay-per-view on March 13th, Ryu Lee will be defending his ROH TV title against Bandito. So that's definitely one to uh, circle and keep your eyes out for. And then to wrap us all up, the... Well, um, two, a couple of quick things um, for other news that's outside. I, I think it's just uh, good to kind of mention it real quick. So um, what's the name of the company that just bought Noah? Uh, Cyber... Cyber Brain? No, Cyber, Cyber something. Uh, I didn't have this here. Hold on here. Well, Noah was just purchased um, by the same parent company that owns several different wrestling uh, properties, including DDT, um, which that partnership, they're not working together necessarily, but there is going to be some synergy between the two of them because Noah's already been featured on uh, DDT's uh, streaming platform as early as just last week. Um, and that company, that parent company that owns them is actually larger than... Um, Cyber Agent. Oh, that's right, Cyber Agent. Um, Cyber Agent's a major media conglomerate um, similar to like, not unlike Sinclair Media Group um, owning Ring of Honor. So... That is a huge move and change in the landscape of uh, Per Rezu, and it also plays a lot into what was going on a few months back with WWE trying to purchase up different companies, and you're kind of seeing a, a consolidation of these major wrestling players with, like, Bushiroad buying Stardom and now Cyber Agent buying Noah. It's, it's kind of create Like, they're kind of playing defense against uh, companies moving in from the outside um, another big thing was MLW just announced a partnership with Dragon, Dragon Gate. Gate. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if MLW is going to be doing something WrestleMania weekend with Dragon Gate. Uh, I've heard that ML MLW is staying away from WrestleMania weekend. Uh, yeah, I don't think they did so hot last time. Yeah. But um, that's a big deal because they did previously have a partnership with Noah, but it looks like that's dead in the water. Now they're with Dragon Gate. And I think that changes a lot of the uh, dynamics, especially since MLW's like tied to uh, um, the crash in Mexico, and now Dragon Gate kind of creates a different dynamic uh, for working relationships. And then one of the biggest news stories: it doesn't directly affect New Japan, but it affects the wrestling world in general. Um, WWE fired their two uh, co-presidents, uh, uh, Michelle. Uh, Wilson and he had George Barrios and George Barrios and their stock plummeted uh, over 20% overnight and so with that happening and WrestleMania season on the you know coming up plus the launching of the XFL things are in chaos <laughs> <laughs> over in Titan Sports so um, anything that happens with that stock anything that happens on like when it comes to that company's market share, it definitely affects the rest of the wrestling world. So um, I think people really need to keep their eyes on what's going on with WWE and see how that might have adverse or positive, uh, you know, um, 
effect on what's going on over on this side of things. Right. Like whether you hate them or love them, WWE is still the biggest wrestling company in the world. They are the leader in the industry and a lot of what the world thinks and how businesses react happen with what they think about WWE. So the worse WWE does, the harder it's going to be to get money for people to put uh, New Japan up as a TV property and actually help them gain traction. So, I mean, the worst thing that could possibly happen to any of these companies is, like, the worsening of business for, for WWE, honestly. Yeah. And then lastly, the recommended match of the week it is my turn for the pick. And I love this match. Going back to the new beginning in Niigata, February 14th, 2016, for the vacant IWGP Intercontinental title the cleaner, Kenny Omega, taking on the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. This was the, you know, the elevation of Kenny Omega as a heavyweight. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura was leaving the company. He was the current IC champion. Um, he did not drop the title before he left. Um, they stripped him of the title and decided to have this vacant uh, IC title, title match. Uh, Omega did pin um, Nakamura, I believe it was like New Year's Dash or something like that, building up into this match. So he had the pinfall victory over Nakamura, we thought they were doing the title match with those two, but uh, they decided just to strip Nakamura as he went off to NXT, and then uh, Tanahashi kind of stepped in there to face Omega, and it was just an excellent matchup. Got 4.75 from Wrestling Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer. Um, it's Kenny Omega and Hiroshi Tanahashi, two of the best in the world, having a great matchup here, and it's kind of the rise of Kenny Omega in that heavyweight division in New Japan. So if you have not seen this, definitely go back, check it out. New beginning in Niigata, February 14th, 2016. I love that match. I love the, this is one of my favorite, like, clusterfucks <laughs> in the history of, like, New Japan. Just, like, all the run-ins, all the shenanigans, the young bucks coming from underneath, the cold spray, all the crazy zany, zany like, Omega crap, and then... Just the overwhelming amount of cheating finally was enough to, like, best Tanahashi. People were literally shocked at the time. No one could fathom that Kenny Omega would beat uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi on a big stage like that. And uh, really, it, just a great match. I uh, Yeah, if you ever want to wonder why so many, like, diehard New Japan fans hated the Elite, watch this match and you'll understand <laughs> why they didn't, you know... I think a lot of that stuff carried over for a long time. Yeah. Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week. Next week, we'll be back with our review of New Beginning in Osaka. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. You can make a one-time or monthly donation. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. The show is at KI Strong Style. Also follow us at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy, and Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Issue Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd, and they just dropped their 
2019 One Nation Radio Awards, as long as also they had some of the contributors kind of give their top matches of 2019. So Josh and I are both featured on there, so check that out. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Fridays, we have Get In The Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And Saturday, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr., Amy O., and Tiffany. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.